top of the table, that's exciting. Bottom of the table, that's exciting. Like that's the sort of football that you want to be in. These are the pressure games that in 15, 20 years time, I will look back on and I will remember these are the important matches for me, not the middle of the table teams. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Half past seven on this Tuesday morning. You're welcome along to OTBAM. Good show lined up for you over the next couple of hours. We're going to have David Myler with us to talk football. Emmett Brennan will be with us to tell us why he should be on the Taylor Serrano undercard. And Jamie Carr is a Manchester City underage coach from Dublin who is doing an ultramarathon in the Sahara and rowing the Atlantic all into one year. So he'll be with us later on in the show to talk through why he's doing it. But most importantly for the duration of the show, another Northside Dubliner, Kenny Cunningham, is with us. How are you, Kenny? Oh, good on. Good to be, uh, good to be back. Good to have you back. Last time you were with us was in and around another really important holiday as well. You were getting very excited for Christmas. You're joining us in the aftermath of one of the most important holidays there is in, in Valentine's Day. How did you mark the big day yesterday? <laughs> oh, I suppose by by uh, making a conscious decision not to uh, not to mark the occasion. Unfortunately, so yeah. Now I've never bought into the. Uh, the kind of Valentine's uh, gig, I must admit. Not for you. No, no, no. No, it's a scam, isn't it? It's a scam. <laughs> is, is there, was there ever any year that you were t- tempted to be like, you know what, I'm going to let Hallmark, to, let Hallmark take over here? I'm not exactly sure. What you're, yeah, there's pressure, isn't there? It's too much pressure, Yeah. to be honest with you. And it's, uh, it's, it's too forced, isn't it? Too contrived. Yeah, a bit like Christmas actually. No, I can see, never say that about Christmas. <laughs> see, this, this is interesting. I, I mean, there, there was—I'm not sure—was I surprised or, or just kind of uh, interested in the fact that that you were you were a big Christmas guy. So this is why I I went this way immediately this morning. I thought that you know that you, that you well, were a you sucker know, for a holiday. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you said that actually. Like in terms of Christmas, I like the Christmas period all right, but I wouldn't say like I said, I'm not one for bouncing around and you know, grabbing presents and, and, and that type of thing. Not, not not in a manic way, but yeah, no, Christmas all, uh, yeah, Christmas all suffer, but now forget it, Valentine's, move on. Valentine's right at the bottom of the holiday list then. Oh, Everything yeah. Ahead of oh, it. yeah, yeah. You know what, I think that's actually a good take. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you. I was nah. just... I just wasn't expecting that at all. Like, what, what we often have around this time of year is uh, people doing lists about, you know, some of the greatest bromances in football. And uh, oh, yeah. great strike partners together, great centre back partners together. If, if I had to press you for well, what's your, what's the difference between a, a great strike and partnership and a, a, a bromance in terms of on the pitch? What would be the difference? I what guess are we talking about here. I guess there is no difference. To be honest with you, could you call are you it talking about on an emotional level yeah. uh, as well as opposed to having a natural? Yeah, let's go with that. So I suppose, I suppose, um, so it's kind of Sheringham Cole. Yeah. Partnership United would have been a great partnership from a football and technical point of view. Two players really complemented each other because of their different qualities, but by all accounts, never, never spoke to each other, mm. couldn't stand each other. Like, so I suppose that wouldn't be our. That's not the kind of bromance that you. That's be, a partnership. That be, that's a partnership. Yeah, that's not a bromance. <laughs> It's a form of partnership, a little boy, little, what we experience most mornings. Well, ex- ex- we are very much a partnership. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the, it, when I when I throw that phrase out to you, football bromance, who, who is the other half of your number one football bromance? Oh, the, Kenny, the, no, the other no, half no. of the Kenny Cunningham. That was kind of bromance that would happen higher up the, higher up the pitch. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> striking partnerships here. It's in their, it's in their DNA. It, it's the centre-back not that going on in the centre of the fence now. Is that not the most important place for a bromance to exist? 
the heart of your no, defense? No, no, I think it weakens. I think it weakens the partnership. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you let any kind of emotion or personal feelings come into a central defensive uh, partnership, then you're you're doomed, basically. H- have you ever... Yeah, there's got to be a little bit of disdain there. Yeah. But if almost a little bit of uh, hatred, I think, kind of helps in, in that area of the pitch. Why? Begrudging, you know, kind of a uh, begrudging respect, those type of uh, feelings. Best suit a central defensive partnership, I think, rather than a... Uh, potential budding bromance that you're talking about it's interesting <laughs> well, why, why is that the case is it because you're supposed to be the hard man at the back is that is that it you're yeah, not supposed think, to show emotion yeah I think so I think there's a little bit of that I think it's a little bit of that I think it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing no but on a, on a serious note I think um, I always I was always fascinated with the the sharing when I first uh, be, became aware of it and you think well how does that work I mean if you don't have a it can't help I'll say that it can't kind of help the partnership on the pitch where, no matter where it is whether it's central central midfield full back uh, wingers or whatever side of the pitch it is e- even at centre half I know we're kind of joking about it a little bit but it can't make it easier I'll say that it must make it more difficult you know what I mean if there is not a healthy respect you'll have a health, healthy respect from a sporting point of view but on a personal level if there's issues there or, or, you know what I mean that you don't quite hit it off can't help I don't think I think certainly the best partnerships kind of you know, bloom and at their very best. If yeah, there's a bit of common ground there than uh, between people in any area of the pitch. To be honest, which I think it brings out the best in those kind of uh, partnerships. Beardsley Lineker, little, little partnership or little bromance. bromance. I had a bit of a bromance. bromance. Yeah, loved each other. Everybody loved Beardsley though at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Beardsley. People wanted to play with him, not just because he was great, but because he was a good man. Yeah, I think so. That yeah. little uh, uh, perception as well. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I suppose that's what you try and do as a manager in, in dressing room try and build build partnerships like and build that camaraderie thing it's not a, it's not a big thing it's not a new thing is it the whole dressing room but those little individual uh, partnerships I'm always lucky at centre half played with some yeah played with some great people uh, alongside me but oh, if I don't remember playing probably wouldn't admit to it here would I playing alongside anybody that I told <sighs> This fellas drives me up. <laughs> you know so, what I mean? Drives me up the wall. I can't bear them. No, that's what I'm no, saying. I'm good. lucky. Yeah, because yeah, I wouldn't I honestly say I don't think I would have enjoyed the experience uh, as much. I think that makes when you have your little small little spikes of success wherever it is during the course of your career. I think you know when you kind of when you can share it with the dress room and your and your and your kind of peers and people alongside you. You know. If that that's a central defensive partner in my book yeah I think it makes it a little bit more special as opposed to yeah whatever good game yeah <laughs> so tell me Kenny Cunningham Matthew Upson bromance or partnership no I got on well with uh, Matt I'm still uh, uh, keep in contact um, yeah no I got on got on well with Matt yeah bromance Oh, bromance is too much of a stretch okay. I'm, not, I'm not buying into it. I'm not buying into the bromance but I take your point where you are so now we got on well we got on well together Matt, Matt was kind of a bright good thinker of the game very smart as well as being a very good player good understanding of the game so we actually kind of complemented each other reasonably well in that respect and the oldest thing as well I had some really good partners in uh, playing for it I was lucky there Can I was, ask Gary Breen and Kenny Cunningham bromance or partnership <laughs> Not gonna let it go, are you? You're not gonna no, let it that's go. That's the last one. That's yeah. I only had two in my head. No, both. I'd have to say both. I was lucky. Yeah, Brina would have played a lot of games with. I'd say more playing styles. Right, would be for me. Be more kind of playing styles, kind of suited. Played a few games with Richard. Richard was young coming in. Mm. 
which was great to uh, to play alongside as well. So, yeah, no, I was lucky in that respect. But I do, I must admit, uh, given that you know people say, some people would be very, some players I played were very, this is the job, go in, earn your wage, you know, boom, go home, end of, you know, that's it. You know, very kind of uh, blinkered in their approach and not overly emotional in terms of the, the job itself. Maybe even the people as well this is it I'm in the game for 10 15 years if I'm lucky get as much as you can ever which is right you know we're all the same but uh, yeah I think it's all it's all about the people isn't it the dressing room teammates the kind of moments that you kind of share together really That that's what kind of lasts over time so yeah I was lucky in that respect played with some uh, some good players but also uh, some great lads who actually enjoyed being around enjoyed their company mm. when you look at those experiences that you mentioned there like those positive experiences do you draw on that when you're analysing modern day centre backs or has the idea of that partnership and I'm not going to use the other word uh, again this morning that idea of a partnership has that changed a lot given the way the game has changed that you're not really analysing it in the same way that it would have been analysed say when, when you were playing I'd be very surprised if that's uh, if that's changed I mean mm-hmm. I haven't really been around the dressing room too much the last uh a number of years but I'd be very surprised if that's the change if I was a coach and a manager in the dressing room I'd still be, I think I'd still be preaching the same things that I experienced when I uh, was in the dressing room no matter where the partnership is on the on the pitch but just kind of uh, good communication and just and particularly that defensive unit I was always a big fan of um, when I played um, the, maybe the different the defensive unit in particular the back four predominantly as it was then but treating that unit in isolation actually spending a bit of time together even not so much wee, not so much <laughs> teetotal obviously wouldn't have been a great night out with me but I'm talking about maybe a video analysis room that defensive unit going in together sitting down looking at footage and talking amongst ourselves you know and I, I quite enjoy that being a kind of distinct little uh, group within the within the main group I felt those type of things really kind of pulled people together like the defenders uh, together I quite enjoyed that and I got a feeling the kind of defenders in particular uh, really bought into that maybe not so much the forwards might have been a little bit more different but yeah so that so, so that type of thing I really kind of bought into that. I enjoyed that I was always kind of aware of that coming out of the game and maybe doing a bit of coach and the kind of players uh, reacted positively to that particularly kind of uh particularly defenders you know just kind of really kind of pulling people pulling people together Why do you think that is that the defenders had more of an interest in that because it, it is curious like I mean it's just off the top of my head I'm not sure if this is actually uh, reflected in the numbers or not but it does seem that even when it comes to like punditry some of the better pundits that we see are defenders or midfielders like I mean the, the attackers as you suggest there maybe haven't always proved to have the same eye that a defender would have for the game is, is that is that the same thing or is yeah, it, it might be yeah, more yeah it might be a little bit simplistic I think you're right I think you're probably the names that roll off the tongue are yeah. probably those type of players like defensively uh, kind of uh, minded players so what's going on in terms of the psychology there the mindset not too sure people would say in terms of how players perceive the game having a good eye for the game you know, generally speaking, maybe those players would be a little bit further down the pitch, like centre half, kind of centre midfield. Not quite sure. That might be a little bit derogatory towards maybe the forward, the more kind of forward thinking uh, players. Yeah, it is an interesting, it is an interesting point, all right. But yeah, but I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Those quite those little small partnerships are uh, around the pitch are important. And I played a lot of my career at fullback. You know, I wouldn't have play, played all my career at centre half. So for me, playing right back, that kind of player immediately in front of me, that right side of midfield, they, you know, played with 10, 20 yards in front of me for 
most of the game was absolutely huge. So good communication with, uh, with, he, with him was important. So I always felt I worked in a small little unit down that side of the pitch with me right-sided uh, midfield. So communication was important. Relationship mm. it was important uh, with those type of with those type of people so yeah I think that's a normal thing though. I don't think that's anything new on is it I think that's you know it's not that's not even football that's any kind of team sport is it you know I'm sure the lads if I don't know you'd have enough guy lads here and the, the Hurling boys on rugby as well in particular like those key partnerships all over the pitch you know rugby's probably the most prevalent one at the yeah. moment isn't it in terms of the Six Nation but those kind of relationship with people who really operate in those same Kind of areas of the pitch, I think, is is absolutely huge. Probably rugby is probably the best example, yeah. isn't it? I'd imagine, in terms, I'm talking about the back four unit being together, you know, being on the training pitch together, maybe doing drills together, or being in the video analysis room. With that, you could magnify that tenfold. I imagine, in terms of the line out and rugby, the uh, the tight group there, uh, scrum, you know, that type of thing, combination play, the backs, all that type of thing. I think it's important, and yeah, I think players generally kind of quite buy into that. Uh, let's tell you what's coming up this morning because we'll come back to that in just a moment uh, we've got uh, David Myler with us at 10 past 8 this morning lots to get into with him the Champions League just around the corner it is back on our screens tonight the sports page is coming your way at half past 8 the sports news coming your way at 20 to 9 and then Emmett Brennan will be with us at 10 to 9 to talk about the potential of him being on the undercard of the Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight later on in this year in April uh, Jamie Carr will be with us at 10 past 9 to talk about those uh, endeavours that he's taking on this year and then Tara Sullivan was reviewing the Super Bowl on last night's show and we'll be playing that to you at half past nine this morning we've got John getting in touch this morning asking what did Owen and Westmead get up to for Valentine's basically Kenny uh, I was told to get a room with Westmead because they were so high in the power rankings it's a lovely night actually myself and Westmead but no more details also Neville and Carragher Rio and Vidic on partnerships uh, is his point that's true a lot of on, lot of on screen chemistry there between uh, Neville and Carragher Rio and Vidic obviously a good one when you're looking at this um, current Manchester United partnership I think it's on a lot of the back pages this morning the idea of Harry Maguire potentially being under pressure with his captaincy uh, that's one element of this then there is the other element of this about uh, Harry Maguire the, the footballer and his place in that starting team for Manchester United does that feed in at all to the conversation we just had about how he is connected with say Luke Shaw or with Raphael Varane most importantly yeah I think it is I think it is important particularly with somebody like uh, Maguire I I like Maguire I think he's got some fine qualities but he's got his limitations and he has his uh, frailties and he'll always have them He's not going to be able to do much about it because his frailties are in terms of his build, his, his athleticism, as something which he can't really uh, conquer. So you're absolutely right. So when you compare him to say like uh, Van Dyke, and you say you say to me who's Van Dyke's ideal partnership, I could say well really anybody. It, it, it doesn't really matter. Such are his qualities. He can he can really play alongside anybody. Van Dyke's maybe not dependent in any respect on any the qualities of any one player playing alongside him where with Maguire it's different that lack of kind of mobility athleticism means that he's he's dependent to a certain extent on the qualities of the players around him and you're right uh, Maguire plays left side of centre half so he's looking at his right side of centre half predominantly on his left back around him in terms of giving him a little uh, bit of cover and giving him a dig out so when Varane first came into the team I think I don't know if you remember back first uh, couple of games I remember there was a game away at Wolves I actually thought the partnership worked uh, quite well because uh, uh, Varane has that kind of quickness of foot that bit of athleticism kind of reads the, the game quite well 
Maguire is obviously very dominant in the air, very good ball, uh, very good ball playing. Actually reads the game uh, very well. So their first couple of games together, I thought. Although I wouldn't have been a huge Maguire fan, I like Maguire, but I, I always thought he might get found out because of the for the reasons that I'm saying at the very highest uh, level. Um, and Manchester United but the first couple of games I thought they complemented each other very well but just feel as if you're always you're always susceptible with those frailties that uh, Maguire has and we talk about you have to cover you have to cover that player sometimes you just can't do it if mm-hmm. I'm Rafael Varane I'm, I'm, I'm operating 15 yards to the right of Harry Maguire one incisive pass on the inside of Harry Maguire well timed running behind I don't care how quick you are as a right side of centre sometimes you're just never you're just never going to get back you're going to get exposed Unfortunately for for Maguire, he's just made too many mistakes, and I actually think now, just confidence-wise, it's really affecting him. He's actually losing a little bit of confidence and a bit of self-belief, and I think that's a big issue uh, for him now. I don't think that's easy to conquer, particularly at a club like Manchester United, a kind of goldfish bowl. Every kind of pass you make, every tackle you miss, is being kind of scrutinised, particularly Manchester United at the moment. I think he's in a tough spot, uh, Maguire, and I think it's going to be difficult for him, kind of medium to long term to kind of pull himself out of it because like I said I'm sure he's a very good professional he works hard at his game and he is kind of he is a talented player for the reasons that I said the qualities that he has but just there's he can't do anything about that you know that kind of bit of stiffness which he has that inability to kind of change direction quickly and you know explode you know over 10-15 yards of match opposition forwards kind of uh, pace turn of speed it's not going to change so what do you do as a manager you have to compensate you have to compensate the whole team around them as they're trying to do or maybe you cut your loss and say look show them the door get as much money as you can and go for that kind of prototype that kind of Van Dyke, that kind of athletic you know who can defend in one v one situations that like top class athlete that we're seeing now more of now in those kind of central defensive positions particularly at the elite level I presume that compensation that you mentioned there isn't worth it for Manchester United given yeah. they, they want to challenge for Premier League titles yeah well that's the decision and I think there was an argument I think there is there's probably still an argument there that well it is worth compensating because of the qualities which he have he's dominant in both boxes and he, and he has mm-hmm. been in terms of anything through the air early. he's a lovely footballer so are you, are you going to be the type of team are Manchester going to be the type of team who ask their centre house to get on the ball and start them playing for in their in their own half the pitch, you know, and be positive with their passing and break the lines with their passing. Who send half and actually travel into midfield in possession of the ball. McGuire can do all that. He's proved that he's very talented uh, in that respect. And I think generally speaking, he is a quite good uh, reader of the game. So they're the things you have to actually uh, factor up. Are those qualities strong enough to make up for maybe the, the deficiencies uh, in his game? I'm not too sure. You know, I, w- I wouldn't argue that one too strongly personally. Does the captaincy add added pressure? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it does add it does add, add pressure uh, to him. That's what I'm saying. He must be feeling it. I think it puts pressure on everybody. To be honest, it puts pressure on the on the manager. I think with your captain is different. I think if he wasn't the captain, the decisions a little bit easier maybe to take him out and park him for maybe one or two games. But I think it has been the case. I think I think he has been taken out on one or two of occasions. Was a big decision, you know, your captain taking your captain out, um, off the pitch, and even for the for the person themselves. It's your perception, how you're perceived, then amongst the players. Yes, you're the captain, but actually, you're not. You know, you're not good enough to be on the pitch mm. at times. Like uh, that's not that's not easy to deal with uh, as well from Maguire's point of view. So yeah, I think he's in a very sticky position. The club's struggling at the moment. Anyway, it's a bit of turmoil around the place, and individually, he's he's struggling as well. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't put a pass him. He looks a decent enough character, all right, maybe to turn things around. But 
a new manager going in there and I think a will manager new manager will go in uh in the summer if not before and I don't think it'll be Ranjik. I think that'll be one of his first big decisions in terms of assessing uh, Maguire and very quickly deciding is he the, uh, the player that he wants to build his team around going forward. They're playing Brighton at quarter past eight tonight at Old Trafford, by the way. So it's a triple header of football between that and the two Champions League games tonight. One of the themes over the last 10 days or so of Manchester United has been going one nil up and then drawing one all. What are you putting this down to? Is that a, a mental thing? Is that a, is that a physical thing? Because it's been mentioned as, as kind of a little bit of both, really. Ralph Ranić has, has mentioned that there's been kind of a, a, a confidence level. If you concede early in the second half, it affects the confidence of the players, is what he said. And then also he said that, to be honest, I don't know if we are fit enough to play that way in relation to, to pressing. So he's kind of questioning the mentality and the fitness here. So it could be both, I guess. Yeah, I think the mentality thing comes into it. When you're on that run, a uh, run of games where you get your head in front and you're constantly being pegged back, there is that constant kind of dread when you do go ahead or when you, if you do concede after that, or here we go again. But that's, to be honest with you, that's kind of a, a kind of a mindset a little bit more amongst the players. I think you've got to be a little bit kind of uh, stronger. For, uh, uh, you have to be stronger than that. I don't think you can, put, you can uh, pass that one on to the... To the manager, I think you have to take responsibility for that yourself, individually and collectively, uh, the whole team. That's more of a kind of mental toughness uh, there for me. You got to be, you got to be stronger yourself. In terms of the press, it's it's always an interesting one. I think basically what the press comes down to is fitness levels, really. If that's what he's saying, I don't think we're quite capable of. Well, the press basically comes down to physically being being able to do it, make those dynamic runs, 10, 15, 20 yard runs constantly. You know, over a period of time, and also being set up to do it. Actually, the organisation being uh, good, and people having good pictures in terms of what they're being asked to do. Now that comes back to the manager. So I'm presuming that's being done. You know, he has this kind of reputation of being very organised, detailed, and he's the one initially who pushed this kind of high press. And you know, and he's led other younger managers have kind of learned from him, etc., etc. We've heard a little bit of that. So you presume the information has been passed to the, to the players, but then you've got to ask. You know, other players actually physically every player, and it's got to be every player on, as you know. You know, whatever you know, whatever you're pressing the pitch, everybody's got to be switched on. Everybody's got to want to do it, and actually wanting to do it. Generally speaking, comes down to if you're actually physically capable of doing it. When people say oh, he doesn't want to press, for me, generally, if someone doesn't want to press, he's actually physically not capable of doing it. I don't know too many players who could physically go and do it, but decide actually I'm not going to do it. Mm. Physically, I'm more than capable of it. I'm just not going to do it. That doesn't happen. People don't press because physically their body's telling them, "Can't really, I don't really want to do this." Right. So that's that potentially is an issue as well when you look at one or, one or two of the players. You could argue in terms of the relationship between the managers and the players, the respect level there. A, a club like United, it shouldn't happen. Of course, you know you should die for the jersey, etc. And shouldn't come into who the manager is that particular time. But I think the reality is that I think it is a factor in terms of the perception amongst the players, the manager, how good he is. Is he going to lead us to the promised land, etc., etc.? And if there's a little bit of uh, indecision there amongst the players looking over the manager thinking, he's not, I don't really rate this fella too much, got to be honest with you. Well, that's an issue as well. And I think maybe there's a little bit of that bubbling to the surface as well uh, in the dressing room. And so that'll, that'll need to be resolved. And I think it will be, obviously, in the, in the short term between now and the, now and the summer. You are listening to Kenny Cunningham. He's with us here in studio on OTBAM, which is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Champions League is back tonight as well, Kenny. Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid. Razors, uh, how you're, uh, uh, you're making it, having a dig. Having a dig there, Alan. <laughs> Just like you had a dig with me coffee from the uh, 
the ball, the barista. I did not have it. You made a point, keeping it. You kept a straight face when you mentioned that earlier. I didn't realise it myself. Oh, sorry, I get it now. I was shopping at the yeah, the yeah. I didn't even notice. Excellent coffee, though, right? Did not notice the the ball head. Didn't didn't notice. It's a nice coffee. You're right. Yeah. Out of ten, I'd give that an eight. I'm not a Oof. not a connoisseur. Damien Duff might be probably Damien Duff might be a better man to ask about the old barista. I think he's on record as saying he yeah. could be a potential barista in the future. Yeah, you haven't had the pleasure of having a Damien Duff coffee, have you? I haven't, but I was impressed with this place. This place on a. Uh, so great George Street as you know you've been in there yourself but I was was impressed with uh, I asked a gentleman this morning I said there's a nice aroma in here coming off your uh, coming off your pastries do you mind me asking are they um, are they freshly prepared and he assured me that they had the dough delivered into the premises very early in the morning stroke during the night and so they the actual breads and the pastries are cooked oh. on the on the premises and displayed. And he said they, if they're not gone by two, three o'clock, he said they'll uh, half price and they're out the door, and none of them will be re uh, resold the following day, which is good to know. Is um, which is good to know. Good bakery makes people, a difference, doesn't it? People won't be able to see it on screen, but just to the left of Kenny Cunningham, there is a white paper bag, which I assume came from said bakery cinnamon swirl give us a look that bag doesn't do it just I really needed a see really needed a see through bag to get even put a little uh, serviette in there now look at that That, that, that's a glint off that's glistening isn't it can you see that yeah I can unfortunately people can't uh, get a sense of uh, give us a give us a taste test there taste test no I'm not no I'm not no I know I can I can uh, I can see it I'm enough of a connoisseur of uh, cakes and pastries over the years. So, um, like, I mean, so you, you came into the office at what, around 10 past 7 this morning. You're going to be here till around... Well, experience tells me not to be dependent uh, on yourself or anybody else in this office for, uh, you know, a fresh cup of coffee and a selection of pastries when I walk <laughs> in the door. So, obviously, you got to take the bull by the horns to an extent. Have a fresh cup of coffee. We don't have pastries all the time, but we will be open to any donations. So you're just going to not have that now between whenever you bought it. It'll be just sitting in the bag for two hours, like it getting less and less warm. Yeah, I don't. To be honest with you, I wouldn't, uh, don't eat too much breakfast now. I would right. take it or leave it, generally speaking, but it's all about yeah, once you get a whi- once you get a whiff of that, you walk in somewhere, a coffee shop, it's, it's tough, isn't it? You've taken the pastry out of the bag. You smelt it. You put it back in. You are. Yeah. Is this like some sort of self torture, or what's going on here? It's a torture for you. It's a torture for you. The fancy of it. We'll split it. We'll split it after the show. That's a deal. Thank you, Kenny. Um, do you know what? Actually, before we get to the Champions League, you mentioned Damien Duff. There, uh, are you going to go watch Shell? You're. I think you are going to go watch Shells this weekend. Are you? That's Friday my intention. Night? Yeah, that's my intention. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of great subplots around the league. To mm. be honest with you, but I think Shells is a. Is a big story as well. I think Damien himself, the club, I'm really interested in watching the the team play, how he sets up the team. Be a great game against uh, Pats. New manager there as well, Tim Clancy. Good luck to him. Had a great season with Draw the last year. Uh, big chance for him. I sent Pats. He's done a bit of business there. Lost lost some uh, key players over the winter, which was a blow for them because I thought Pats were actually in a great position to challenge actually Rovers this year, just with one or two uh, additions. And then they lost a few key players. Lee Desmond headed off to um, America. 
Robbie Benson went back up to Dundalk uh, with the manager, of course. Matty Smith there as well. Would, would have been a blow with a great season last year. Headed up to Derry, but he's done some business. Bought a few uh, uh, players in. Owen Doyle as well, probably mm. aware of. He's come back from England. He's got a bag full of goals on over there. I actually read an article he wrote yeah, in the Pat paper. Yeah, Pat did a good piece with him on Sunday. Yeah, yeah it was very interesting. Earlier than he might have expected, which... I know there's like a, a business aspect to all of that. Why wouldn't he get served with pastries like this every morning? It's, it's Why a very wouldn't good you? Point. Like it, it, it may just be a kind of a, an outlier because, as I say, he does have the business at home. But that could be a semi-encouraging trend for the league if, if lads who have made obviously they need to go make more money in England and they want to come home aren't coming home in their late thirties. They're actually coming home in their their early to mid thirties, and you're yeah. just getting a better quality player. No, I think you're right because it's tough to lose the young upcoming talent. It's always a blow when they go. We've lost a couple of them, obviously over the Johnny Kenny from Sligo's gone to uh, Celtic, kind of understandably so. Ross uh, Ross Tierney, another one from Bowes, headed over to Motherwell. So it's always tough. It's always disappointing to see the young talent go. It's understandable and kind of good luck to them, but you, you kind of want to hold on to them for his for as long as possible but you're right the cushion's the blow when you have players like Owen probably in his prime in 30-31 years of age nowhere near uh, being over the hill there's other issues there to play like you're saying in terms he's got some uh, uh, business there as well he's looking to kind of set up and that's obviously a bit of a driver for him as well yeah but great to see these players coming back into the league and I, I, I just think that I'd like to think the perception of the league maybe has changed a little bit now players over in England looking back towards the league where it used to be I'm going to hang on here as long as I can. I might get a year back at 36. I'll get a year over there. Somebody will kind of give me a contract. But I think I think that was top four, top four or five teams now for a couple of years now. I just think there's been real quality within the squad. And I think it's like some of the limited success, maybe, say, we're having in, in Europe. You know, European football, don't underestimate the attraction of that for our lads. Lads who go over to England will never experience European football. That's pretty much a given, unless you're lucky enough to break through at the, at the highest level. So an opportunity to come back and compete, whether it's uh, Rovers, Derry, Dundalk, uh, Pats, Bowers, as they, as they have been, these clubs competing in European football the past couple of years, that must be a big carrot for these yeah. players. And just a professional aspect, I think. A lot of young managers now coming, young coaches coming. I've mentioned a few of them all. Ready, got some uh, uh, good ideas, very switched on, very bright. I think that's an attraction uh, for players as well. Uh, coming back and just a general just a general quality and particularly that uh, bracket that top four or five clubs that we've got we've got some real talent there it's going to be it's going to be gr- I'm hoping it's going to be a, a, a great league this year and competitive I know Rovers are there to be shot at and they're a very talented squad very kind of well managed very well run well structured the whole thing that's the kind of kind of template for everybody else but some club, the other clubs are making a run at, which is great to see. Stephen O'Donnell going back up to Dundalk. A little bit sad to a certain extent to see that because they've done a great job at pass and they are really kind of, you know, looked as if they were in a position to challenge. So he's going to have to try and make an impact up at Dundalk. But Rory up in Derry's made some great signings, really astute signings up there. If he can get that going up there, then Derry's doesn't take much on, does it? To, you know, light the torch paper up there, get the fans out. At the and the brandy well and get travelling in large numbers and get that buzz going up there. If Rory can do that, and I'm sure he will. Then we're up and running. We've got a really, we've got a really great league to look forward to this year. If if I had to ask you for where you think this the Shelburne team and Damien Duff will will finish up this year, like they're uh, a giant, not a sleeping giant. So are they going to stay up in the the top tier and and make a push maybe to some of the upper reaches of the league over the next little while? 
Yeah, if I was Damien, I wouldn't be setting too many targets. I was mm. never a big fan person myself. I was in the, uh, over the years being in the dressing room or the training ground, the managers put, well, this is our target for the next six games, you know, 10 to 12 points. This is putting all the games up and this never really bought into it, me, to be honest, which I thought, oh, if, you know, what are we doing here, to be honest with you? What happens after those six games if, you, you know, we've got six, seven points? Do you, do you change the parameters yeah. then after that well let's build that forget about that what we were talking about let's go again let's let's set some new targets you know so I was never really one for that so I think you'd probably better advise Damien not to set too many targets and just look game to game really but I think they'll be well, what you do know under Damien they'll be, they'll be well set up organised kind of well uh, motivated Joe O'Brien there as well looks like a good partnership they've got there just a bit of buzz and excitement around the club the most difficult thing I find now is getting the actual information in terms of players in and outs mm. in the League of Ireland so used to in terms of premiership and everything is there yeah you tip I know you know I wouldn't be the greatest anyway like, but I can usually find my way of players but League of Ireland was only a friend of mine uh, last week um, Kevin Brannigan going to give him a mention on air <laughs> direct me to a, a lad who has a, some kind of a site podcast thing and he actually uh, listed all of the ins and outs which is a good thing to have because so many so many players moving around between clubs and leaving the country and players coming in from all sorts so that was good so it was good to get a bit of a bit of a grip on that so yeah I'm looking forward to it I've got to be honest with you yeah I mean it's I'll probably look forward to this start of the League of Ireland season to be honest I'm more excited about this than I was at the start of the Premiership season back in August I've got to be honest with you for the reasons that I'm saying and that Dublin thing another du- North North Dublin club in the mix own that's what you want yeah oh yeah and the banks of the Tolka so that's a great story I think it's great that's great for the league as well so I can't wait can't wait to be honest with you so yeah Friday night hopefully I'll be there Brilliant, brilliant, great, great. To, that that level of excitement is infectious, Kenny. Not going to lie. So we'll be uh, doing a bit more before Friday night, before the league kicks off. Um, speaking of things that are kicking off, it is Champions League tonight. We'll get to that in just a moment. You know what? We'll take a, a quick break in just a second. Uh, we'll have David Myler with us as well in a few minutes. OTB AM five past eight. You're welcome back to OTB AM. It's brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Champions League returns tonight. Paris Saint Germain at home to Real Madrid at eight o'clock, and then Sporting Lisbon at home to Manchester City. The other fixtures this week: RB Salzburg are at home to Bayern Munich tomorrow night, and Inter Milan at home to Liverpool also tomorrow night and then you've got the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea in action next week so uh, four games to look forward to this week no away goals Kenny so these ah, legs uh, I guess slightly more important than they usually are I don't know I, I this kind of it, it dampens the expectation a little bit doesn't it away goals are great I, I must admit I think it's an argument both, uh, both sides but um, yeah I wouldn't have uh, yeah I would have left it as it is I've got to be honest with you because mm. I just think that adds another element uh, to the the excitement level potentially when that kind of uh, particularly when that se- second leg kind of comes around and you get into the meat of the game you know get into that second half second leg you know what I mean and that you're one eye on that all important away goal and the, the effect it can kind of have on the game it gets into the kind of mentality of the players as well does it affect tactically in terms of managers how they're setting up and all those type of things so for me, it was always interesting. I was always fascinated with it. It just gave the whole thing a new 
dimension. I know people would argue, oh, it encourages people not to come out and play. You know, it does encourage people. All these type of arguments you could argue argue around the houses, I mm. suppose. But yeah, I must admit, when it was taken out, I did my initial reaction was ah, you know, we're just maybe just sanitizing things a little, a, li- a little bit little bit too much maybe like I just thought it was distinctive yeah you know, in terms of the way it goes it was like and yeah I suppose you could argue this is ridiculous it really when you think about it kind of logically if you bring the whole you know logic manual down yeah <laughs> met, 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 met on top of it maybe so yeah but I, I quite enjoyed it to be honest with you I thought yeah. it was a nice little ingredient it was different for sure yeah. we've got David Myler with us David how are you getting on good morning lads good to have you back in the show uh does this change the dynamic then tonight, tomorrow night, these first legs that we may see these away teams going for it just that little bit more? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I agree with Kenny. I think, you know, the the way goal brought some magic. I believe, though, the, the biggest problem for me with it was when it went into extra time, if a team then scored, um, they hadn't changed that. But it does it does lose that little bit of spark. Like, you know, if you're if you're away first, you, you kind of look to, you know, be solid, not concede, and then at home you look to push on. Um it used to be always that big team was kind of home advantage and the first leg was huge um, but certainly you expect probably teams to be a bit more open um, and play a bit more football I was going to say on there me, me and David probably wouldn't be alright David how's it going you alright Kenny yeah yeah I'm twisted up here with me uh, head sorry, <laughs> sorry I didn't acknowledge it when you first uh, came on <laughs> I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose me and David. I was going to say just to talk us both down, Dave. We can't lean on too much um, Paris experience here. Me and me and Dave, when it comes to like ch- uh, Champions League football, home and away, and the the way goals real. I might be wrong, yeah. David. I'm unless I'm miss uh, representing you here in terms of your uh, your career. You didn't nick, no, no, you didn't nick one of those Champions League places with Hull, did you? When you when you're on fire there, were you? We got we got Europa League uh, when we <laughs> lost the FA Cup final. Against Arsenal, um, well, I can I trump was... that. I can trump that uh, Anglo-Italian when I was at Millwall in my early days. The Anglo-Italian competition, which has long been forgotten, way before your uh, uh, time, David. I experienced a little bit of a European competition. It didn't last too long, to be honest. Which the competition was kind of sky bosh because there was murders going on. There was players fighting mm. up the tunnels, and there was all sorts going on. Like it's probably the wrong time for the competition uh, uh, to emerge. But yeah, that was my only. Uh, that was my only sampler. What was that competition well, called? We, oh, sorry, David. Anglo-Italian. Oh, that was the literal name of it. Yeah. Go, go for it, David. No, Joe Kenny, we, um, who do we play? Uh, FC Loughran from Belgium. Yeah. Um, and we drew away in the first game and we came back, obviously, to Hull and played them. Um, and we drew, it was one all at home uh, and we got knocked out in away goals. Um, we missed a couple of great chances at the end. So um, too conservative when you went out, too conservative... Well, you were meant to be an attacking midfield player. You, you, you were meant to be the one nicking the away goals here. What, what was going on? Do you know what? There was none of that, no. Um, we were all fresh out of water. We had a couple of Spurs boys who played Champions League, but the rest of us hadn't experienced you know, the, the lights of European football, so we were a bit nervous. It, it, does it feel different when you're out there, David? Does it feel like, right, this is, this is a bit bigger? Yeah, it does. Um, no, definitely, because obviously at the same time when we were playing away, we were like, if we can, you know, nick a goal, obviously it's massive being an away goal. We knew that. Um, but we were we were solid. Obviously, if, we, if we'd if we managed to get through the tie, we got into the group stage, which would have been enormous for the club and us as players at the time. Um, you know, we, we probably didn't perform particularly well in the first half, got going in the second half, uh, created a couple of half chances, and then Robbie Brady had a great chance. 
Um, obviously, you draw there away and then you come back and you're thinking, we, we need to win the game and we have to try not to concede. And obviously, with them scoring, if we threw the kitchen sink at it in the last 15, 20 minutes, we just couldn't get the ball over the line. And then we got knocked out, you know, threw away goals, which was obviously heartbreaking. So, like, have that experience of playing in the Europa League group stage would have been, you know, incredible. But it wasn't to be, lads. I can't believe you've shoved Rob, Robbie Brady under the bus there, to be honest with you. He had a sitter <laughs> that he missed in the, in the away leg. Cost us the whole toy. Joe, Kenny, you know, you know what it's like. I'll, I'll go one more. Tom Huddleston missed two great chances in the home leg. Um, albeit one was cleared off the line, but someone with his ability, he's striking the ball, you'd expect him to score. But Oh, he said it again. I thought he was going to give him a dig out. He's pushed him back under the bus. He's pulled him out from under the bus and then he's thrown him back under again. Hey, hey. Unbelievable. You know what it's like in this media world. You have to be honest. Um, can't beat around the bush and protect people. Oh dear, oh dear, it's harsh. It's a, it's um, a decent whole team. Just looking at it here, uh, like I mean, was Harry, Harry Maguire was there uh, as well, obviously. So I have. We go, are we going? Are we going down that road now? Are we going to move on to United and go down the <laughs> well, Harry? Road? Let's stick on the whole road. Let's stick on. Sorry, this, this, this is whole version of, of Harry. Superstar, right? you're right. Oh, a lot of superstar, a lot of big egos in that dressing room. When David was there, you're absolutely do you right. Want, do you know what, Present company do you want, include, included or excluded? I don't know whether you'd exclude the company or include it. High you wages, want, though, high wages. You definitely include David in that. Definitely include him in that. Absolutely. <laughs> But going back to that time, though, obviously we had Andy Robertson, Harry Maguire, whatever. Yeah. They were young lads. Um, like, Harry didn't speak much. Robbo certainly didn't speak for the opening four months. Um, and kind of the bubbly character you see now at Liverpool, um, he was like, he came out of his shell after about five months. But they didn't speak a lot in the early days. There was no egos in that change room. Um, we were just a great bunch of lads. Um, we were very fortunate. I know, Kenny, you'll, you'll see the same throughout your career. You meet, you kind of are in a changing room. And I still speak to the majority of lads today and they all miss that changing room because we ironed out a lot of problems ourselves. Um, there was never really... It was only when it became a serious incident or serious matter that the manager got involved. But, you know, we policed our own changing room. And I'm very fortunate with that changing room around the 14, 15, 16 seasons with great lads who, you know, knew what was right. Um, and we punished lads who stepped out of order if they were late. Um, if they weren't pulling up in training, weren't pulling themselves up in games, um, we did it all ourselves. What about players who spend too much time on their video games rather than being on the training, <laughs> walking on the game? Did you, Kenny, they, I never. But our players, they, did they get pulled up? Those players, are, <laughs> Joe Kenny, I, I, I never. Their back I cave never. wouldn't come out. Their back cave. <laughs> <laughs> I never miss training for video games. <laughs> I only, I only ever played my downtime. Are you, hey, are you good at you Pac-Man, Pac David? I mean, <laughs> I know these modern games, obviously, you're up there, you're kind of second in the world or wherever you are, but you know the old school games, it's hard, you know, Pac-Man oh. and uh, Space Invaders. Are you on the Space Invaders? That, that's what I'm more interested well, in. Well, technology has advanced since, since the early 90s, Kenny. Um, I do I do like Pac-Man. Um, I haven't played much of Space Invaders. But at the same time, you know yourself, the, the culture you first, when you first grew up, a lot of lads were out drinking, uh, gambling, all that. A lot of our lads played video games and kept us away from that side of it. So Had a drink, you know, had, had a drink while you're playing video games and had a bet on the, <laughs> had, had a bet on the video game who was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> just because you weren't in the bookies, David, just because you weren't in the bookies. Oh, no, David, do you mind me asking you? Sorry, Owen. No, no, it's, it's interesting there. We were talking about Harry Maguire actually at the start of the show. I don't know if you were listening. You probably weren't. Probably had no interest in listening to the show before you before he came on. But uh, 
How, what do you think his position there at the moment? We were just talking about him. I think he's a bit of a sticky wicket there, to be honest with you. You'll know his qualities better than me in terms of, you know, we're speaking about how dominant he is in terms of the air. Lovely footballer, he's the game well. But just where he's compromised a little bit, David, in terms of his athleticism, you know, his kind of um, mobility, that kind of speed, which he has, which has been getting more exposed, I suppose, over the last year. Mm. And he seems to be suffering a little bit in terms of confidence. I look at him at the moment, I think new manager coming in, it might be the case where he might get actually get shown the door. That might seem a little bit harsh, but in terms of kind of uh, rejuvenating the squad, particularly a club like Manchester United, you look at the type of centre halves which you need, the modern day centre half in terms of, you know what I'm talking about, that that uh, athlete, quick over the ground, good in one v one situations, that real kind of you know uh, athleticism about them. Maguire is not in that mould, is he? He's kind of a little bit of a, a throwback. How do you see him in terms of his, his Manchester United career? Do you think he'll be there in the medium to long term? How do you see it? Uh, well, to start, you know, I was reading um, an article that Ragnick did. Um, it, was, it must have been an interview or whatever. And he said he's not going to, you know, obviously strip him the captaincy. I think United have invested a lot of money in him. Um, I obviously think he's he's well-liked within the club. Mm. Um, with the higher-ups, obviously, you know, the previous managers, going back to Solskjaer, um, I think they... You know they they all think um, an awful lot of them. Look, if you if you look at Harry throughout his career, he's never been blessed with pace. Um, like I'm not saying he's slow, but he's never been blessed with that you know electric pace that could get him out of danger. You look at someone like Van Dijk, he never gets done with pace. Yeah. Um, think think with Harry is Harry. Look, can you play it there? I think Harry he does have a good read of the game, but at the moment. I don't know what it is with him. Um, confidence, seems to be, David, maybe. It, it, yeah, yeah, confidence is certainly a big one. Um, you even look at his, like, uh, I've been thinking long and hard about this. If you look at his performance throughout the Euros, certainly, like, the partnerships that he had, I know they play, England played the back three at times, um, which would, you know, would suit him massively. Um, but definitely, he he is all over the place. Um, there's no two ways about it. Um, he's he's taking far too many touches on the ball. Um, his positioning is poor. He's getting caught out. Um, like it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of basic stuff, Kenny, that he's doing wrong. Um, and that must come down to confidence. Um, obviously, with United going through the tough time, um, they're going through. Certainly, they've got a lot of big characters there. He's meant to be the captain. He's meant to lead. Um, I know a lot of people are quick to point out maybe Bruno or Cristiano would be better suited. But then I kind of look at example I would look at would be say Liverpool with the type of character like Henderson is that he's not a superstar but yet he's able to lead them and he's able to be the captain of them and they all look to him um, for that kind of inspiration if you look at you know at their game so I don't see why Harry can't be captain of that team um, but certainly at the moment he needs to go back to the drawing board and kind of like sit down you know he's taken far too many touches on the ball he doesn't move quick enough um, all those kind of stuff and kind of you know we we have that old saying in football go back to the basics where United need to start keeping clean sheets like you look at the, the last few games they play where they go ahead at half time and then they end up conceding and they can't kick on like you have to we're all we're all in favour this day and age of you know this open modern football where you play out from the back it's kind of the Pep Guardiola model that's coming over the last five six years that there's nothing wrong with being solid um, and giving up you know, giving up possession and, you know, getting into, you know, your two banks of four, um, you know, with your 10 dropping back in, probably to make it a five in midfield, where you actually say to the team, try and break us down and we'll catch you on the counter-attack. 
Um, United play this kind of open, expansive stuff, which is just doesn't suit them. You know, Ragnick's come in, he's trying to do this high pressure. We've seen with the Burnley games, a prime example, first half, they're moving the ball quickly, they're creating chances, they're going after teams. But they just leave themselves so exposed and so open. And at the moment, with confidence levels, they just can't see a game through for 90 minutes. Yeah, so this um, is the thing, massive... David. So you're right in terms of that kind of high press ran you, but that'd be, that'd be similar for a lot of managers now in the modern game, isn't it? In terms of that high press, get the whole team up the pitch, get your <clears> two <throat> central defenders up to the halfway line. But of course, you'll know what you're saying there is when you get the whole team into the opposition half and you go high pressing and you commit your... To a large extent, you're going to detach your fullbacks from your centre half. You're going to have to send your fullbacks a little bit higher up the pitch if you're going to really commit to that kind of full press. So that kind of isolates your two centre halves, doesn't it? With a lot of space in behind, even with the kind of sweeper keeper with a high starting position. So this is it. This is the problem there is here with Maguire, isn't it? In terms of that lack of mobility, managers will look at him and think, "Have I got confidence in my left side of centre half to defend his area of the pitch when we're we're, we're high pressing and teams are going to." Uh, drop that ball in behind or down the sides of our defenders has he got that uh, uh, speed of foot and that kind of athleticism to go and defend his area of the pitch I'm not too sure he does so let me ask you this you're the new Manchester United manager you're rolling there in the summer do you keep Maguire and you build your team around him going forward or do you cut your losses and get him out the door and go and reinvest um, I would keep with them I would stick with them um, I definitely think he he's enough okay he's had a tough Tough season so far this year. Um, I think he's got enough credit in the bank with United, and certainly what he's done in the past um, mm. that he can, you know, he can come through it and play. I think Rafa Varane is an ideal partner for him, certainly with his pace and his experience. Um, like as you said, there it might be something that they need to alter. I know we talked about these, you know, attacking fullbacks. Um, you know, certainly with you know you'd have Luke Shaw or Telles playing on his side. Can you find a way that? If we're attacking on the right side, that the left full doesn't push on too far, you know, too far, whatever, that you can give that added bit of cover to him. Um, but it's also look, if you when you step into that, you have to obviously look at your strengths and weaknesses, and that is a massive weakness for United. You know, when they push up, if the line is going over, you know, um, the back four line is going over the halfway line, do you do you then drop that line five yards? Um, yes, you then create that you know disconnect between the midfield and the front three that the gaps in between for the 10 is probably um, the opposition 10 would be a lot bigger. But at the same time, then you're keeping the play in front of you. As you well know, if you know if the ball is in front of you, you're doing your job. It's when you're running back towards your own goal is the problem. And that's where United are struggling. So it could be like a little altercation of, you know, certainly the back four's line. Could we not go as high? Um, seeing that even as myself, as a Liverpool fan, you look at Liverpool playing Burnley the other day, the amount of times Burnley are getting in because of Liverpool's high line. Now, on another day, um, Burnley will punish Liverpool and they'll score three or four goals. But at the same time, Alisson makes some saves and I know De Gea has had an incredible year. Um, but can you that's alter the, that? Yeah, that's the risk and reward in the modern game, yeah. isn't it? That's what managers have to kind of... Uh... But do, you, do you not feel, Kenny, though, there is this there is this perception now that teams have to play a particular way? Like everybody's yeah. kind of gone after... Like Jürgen yeah, is yeah, a master yeah. at it. Jurgen's a master at it, what he did with Dortmund, what he's done at Liverpool over time, that he's been able to get Liverpool's front three to press the midfield. Like they're all workhorses, certainly with Man City. Um, you've seen that with Pep with, you know, Barcelona, uh, Bayern Munich, and now with Manchester City, that they, they play this possession dominant football. But once they turn over possession, they have this thing, you know, that four, five, six seconds, they have to get the ball back. Um, and I think 
they're shaping the Premier League in terms of then everybody else. I'm going to say, when I say everybody else, I mean the kind of top six sides who are pushing for top four, trying to compete with those two teams, that they're kind of following in that. You look at United, obviously, appointing Rangnick, who they say is the master of this. And, you know, he was the one who's educated so many different managers in Tuchel and those um, who've, you know, learned from him. But I don't think United have the personnel for it. Um, I don't think those players have been shaped that way. You look back really deep and hard against Sir Alex's teams. United weren't as much as a dominant team. They were exceptional on the counter-attack. You know, certainly in the 08-09, you know, where you've Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, in terms of the speed they broke at and the players, that suits United more and they're the personnel they have. I don't think United are cut out to, you know, dominate a team as much as, say, Manchester City. Yeah, I don't think Manchester United are cut out to defend uh, full stop. I take the uh, point from what you're, what you're saying there, Dave, but just the basic fundamentals in terms of defending. We're talking about Maguire, the kind of protection that he's getting, and you, immediately you look to his, uh, we spoke about it already, on his right side of centre-half and, and his left back over that side of the pitch in terms of kind of giving him a dig out. But what we haven't spoke about in terms of what's happening in front of him, that kind of defensive shield in front of him, Dave, that kind of central midfield uh, position, mm. which you know very well, and I know very well from being a, a centre-half, and I was a centre-half who couldn't run either, probably even slower uh, than Harry Maguire so I was very dependent on getting that kind of support around me so what was very important to me was that I knew that that space 10-15 yards in front of me to a large extent I didn't have to worry about because I'd have two central midfielders who'd stay in contact with me who'd kind of shield any balls into the centre forwards uh, feet block off passes and if a pass didn't get around the corner they'd immediately recover and they'd be, they'd be uh, getting in contact with the centre forward that, w- that was huge David for me because then I knew I could really concentrate in terms of what was going on in behind balls in behind I could adjust my starting position I'd get, I could take a couple of steps backwards and give myself an even bigger um, uh, starting position on the centre forward if a ball was played in behind because I knew that space in front of me was secure because of the positional sense and the defensive qualities of the two central midfielders. Now, if we start talking about the defensive qualities of the Manchester United central midfield, I can't even start the conversation, to be honest with you, because there isn't one, one player there in that Manchester United squad I can hang my hat on as a central midfield and say, I trust him. Right. He can defend. He understands the art to defend in that central midfield area, and I can trust him. Not Fred, not McTominay, and I like McTominay. He's got some good qualities, but for me, he's an attacking midfield player. All his qualities are uh, when he's, he's ahead of the ball and heading towards the opposition goal. Matage's legs of. Uh, gone. I don't know where the answer is. I mean, so it's it's a combination of things. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the qualities uh, of those Manchester United players in all areas of the pitch, centre half, centre midfield. The balance seems to be totally wrong at the moment, and the individual qualities of players, particularly that centre midfield area. Dave, I mean, you must have seen it now. It's, it seems like we've been talking about it for like all last window, all of last six window. Years, yeah. I'd say we've been talking about it. I literally can't. We probably have to go back. You're talking about Tevez there. David and Ronaldo, I'd, I'd probably have to go back. I'm, I'm, I'm talking Nicky, but I'm talking here. I'm thinking uh, Roy in that in that central area to pitch. Phil Neville, to be fair to him, when he went in, these players who understand the role, what was recorded, I'm showed a bit of defensive discipline. You're talking about Liverpool and the qualities they have, but Liverpool and Central say they have players who know how to defend. Fabinho, now Fabinho's not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's smart. And he understands the position. He knows where to position himself. Henderson's a beast in and out possession. You don't carry Henderson when you haven't got the ball. He rats around the place. He makes tackles. He tracks runners. They can play that high-intensity game. Just Manchester United at the moment don't have those qualities in central midfield. So we're talking about kind of Harry Maguire. It's interesting because David's played with him. 
but you play central midfield, uh, David. Mm. I mean, you've got to have at least you've got to have at least one player in that central area of the pitch where you know where you commit players high up the pitch. You look over your shoulder as a centre half. I'm looking at centre midfield. Well, thank God he's there. I can trust him. He'll sniff out danger. He'll make interceptions. He'll hold people up. He'll make good decisions. You know, he'll give us that real defensive axis. Who's that player in the Manchester United squad at the moment, David? Who, give, uh, who gives you that? None of them. <clears throat> that's and that's you've you've hit the nail on the head there, Kenny. There's none of them. Um, obviously, I'm I'm a big fan of McTominay, but I don't think he understands his defensive roles. Um, I agree with you. He's probably better as kind of an eight that gets up and down, yeah. and kind of pick up those positions every now. But he's better coming onto the game and coming onto the ball. Um, we've seen that, in, you know, prime example of performance where he's gotten goals. Fred is Fred is a luxury six. Um, he he doesn't do the nitty gritty stuff. The stuff you're talking about where you're screening you know the attacker you're you know you're you're blocking those passing lanes you're stopping balls getting in so you might get a touch on them you're you're causing you know upset the uh, opposition's build up Matic um he's really disappointed me um huge fan of Matic all the way through you know at Chelsea um I thought it I thought it was an, like going to be an exceptional sign if United but I, I agree with you his legs are gone he, he's not as mobile anymore um like it's it, it's one of those that six player um, is crucial, and I don't think people people realise that. You know, it's it's only come to the forefront with United now. But all the best centre halves, if you look at them, they always spoke for ninety minutes to the six. And I remember my time playing as a six, whether it be you know with Sunderland, Hull, whatever, with Ireland, always had the centre half barking at you, and you're thinking like, will you ever leave me alone? But they're putting you in a position that protects them. And it actually helps you because you're getting organised and you're screening passing lanes. You're, you, you know where the opposition player is. You're picking up their 10. You're picking up the 9 if he drops in. Mm. But it makes their job easier and you add that bit of protection. But it also helps you. Um, like I can imagine, Kenny, you were barking orders the whole way throughout your career because you're stopping that you know supply line of the ball getting through. And United don't have that. They don't have that player who can sit in there. There's probably a case as well where we spoke about Harry's confidence. Um that you know he's probably not barking orders at Fred McTominay, or if he is, they might not be listening to him. Um, you have to call a spade a spade. They might not respect that, and um, they're probably looking. I need to concentrate on my own performance or whatever. Like it's been, it's been a huge problem going all the way back where we spoke about Pogba. Could Pogba play in the six? But we we again highlight you know his defensive qualities. He doesn't do enough work, you know, out of possession. Um, like the biggest thing if United are serious about you know remounting the challenge for the title or pushing. You know, getting up to Liverpool and Manchester City's level, they're probably going to have to go and spend whatever it's going to be, 100, 125 million on, on probably it be, David, who would he be? Your Manchester United manager, again, who's your first sign in that, in that position, that number six that we're talking about, those qualities. Who's out there? Who would you go and grab? I think you you have to go after Declan Rice. Um, I think Declan Rice is the one. Um, I think, you know, obviously, his level of performances. Obviously, Declan knows... He's also kind of doing a bit too, like, well, I'm not going to say a bit too much, but he's doing a bit of everything. Um, we see there in the FA Cup, you know, getting forward, getting goals. He's add, he's trying to add that to his game, uh, which is nothing wrong with a six, you know, chipping him with a few goals here and there, depending on opposition. But definitely think he has, you got to remember Declan Rice played as a centre half for a large period of his uh, underage career. So I think he understands that position. And now he's stepped into the fold of his six. And if you see it as, you know, in his performances of his early days at West Ham, he was very defensive-minded. You could see he was a centre-half kind of filling in as a six. And I think over the last probably two years, um, he's really kicked on and he understands the role. But he understands the role of both. Um, and I think he would be... Look, 
I think he's the ideal signing for United to kind of slot in there. Then that allows and like Bruno to kick on more and do even more in that you know creative aspect. Um, yeah, there's also right. Kenny. There's also that. There's also that one is is um, from my understanding of the position when you play with the one, you know, say one six or you play with two sixes. The one six when he's on his own, he looks to shield the entire back four, right? So he's trying to obviously control two centre halves. He's going to slot into wide areas. Your full backs go forward. He can tuck in and cover that position. Right? When you have two, you kind of divide the pitch in half. Mm -hmm. That the left side of six yeah. will cover the left hand side. Now, that could be a very dangerous game to play if players don't understand the situations. I've had it in my own time where I've been slotted in with a new midfield partner and you're kind of crossing lines. The distances between you are too big. You know, then at times you're on top of one another and, you know, the space is out wide. Maybe United need to go and sign that six who plays as an out and right six, who just yeah. controls the entire back line. His job is not to get forward. It is just to stay there, win the ball, and give it to, an argu arguably, inverted commas, the better players who will go and, you know, create some magic, who will go and create chances. Yeah. Like if, 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 if you look at it, if, if they were to sign Declan Rice and he plays as the six, and then you put Pogba and, say, Bruno in front of him, and you say, look... Like Declan's obviously a confident young boy. Um, he'd probably go, do you know what? I'll do this and then I'll I'll give the ball to you and you go and create the magic. You go create goals, score goals, whatever you want to do. But I know my role and I ain't moving from here. And then you almost form that little triangle between the two centre-halves and the six that the six then can cover into wide areas when the full backs get forward. Like Kenny, I've spoken to you several times over the years about if you look at when you Henderson played the last couple of years you haven't picked up the phone to see how it was I know that it's not even if a little bloody at... text what's up message how's things with you oh, oh good <laughs> family well if you look, if, absolutely if you nothing look at... no, giving it all that like me mate yeah we've spoken a lot over the years <laughs> yes but okay, here let me finish right but if you look at I go back to Liverpool so I watch an awful lot of Liverpool have you not right? got a signal on that back cave of yours have you not got a signal no I don't no I don't you can't make out going calls or anything no go on gets turned off keep going um, but if you look at Liverpool, right, and I agree with you, Fabinho is an ideal six. He's six. He's one of the best in the world. He doesn't have a lot of pace, but he reads the game better than a lot of people yeah. do. But if you look at, right, Henderson is the one that plays on the right, yeah. the tree. And he covers for Trent Alexander-Arnold an awful lot. And he allows him to get forward. Why? Because he understands his role, but he also understands the tr attacking threat that Trent brings with his assists, his goals and whatever. And they've Jurgen has found the balance. And if you look at it, that's why a lot of people say when Henderson doesn't play, you un, you notice there's a massive unbalance in their side. Yeah. And that's a huge part. And at yeah. the moment, United, it's almost as if they're 11 individual players trying to worry about their own jobs, but they're not kind of contributing to the team together. Like... Man City are exceptional at doing it. When somebody loses possession, they all get together. They, you know, they all close up. They shorten up the pitch and they win the ball back high up in good areas. Whereas United, it was a prime example. I can't remember what game it was. Owen, you might remember was there was that one where you know they had three or four players pressing individually and they just got picked off. I think it was the Liverpool one where they got clean five nil, hmm. but they were pressing individually. Now. Kenny, you and I both know that if you press on your own, yeah. you're just going to get popped off. At this level, the players are too good. You know, you have to be organised. You have to be structured. There has to be a trigger. That usually comes from the nine. He's the one who starts the press. But he looks back to say, right, I'm going. This is stuff you've worked on in training. Yeah. That, you know, there are triggers, right? Whether it be we're going to leave the ball, go to the left side of centre half. The nine is going to shape his run, the arc and wide. And then the entire team shoves him into that corner. And obviously they look to win possession. 
that's a massive thing United don't have either. They're yeah, kind no, of pressing in ones and twos. Can I, just, can I just ask here, before we kind of wrap up this section of the conversation, and I know you've already touched on it, David, but just, just how mm. that differs to the best teams in Europe at the moment in terms of how they utilise their midfield and their relationship with the centre-back. Because, yes, it does feel that, say, Manchester City have had two advanced eights and a number six, but it does feel as if their eights give more of a dig out than, say, Pogba or Bruno would in, in, in your sort of next season idea there, David. And especially with Liverpool, like when you factor Jordan Henderson into proceedings beside Fabinho. So even if they do have that Declan Rice figure at number six, do you still not need more from the likes of a Bruno and a Pogba in that midfield? No, I think no 100% it's not a you bullet. do. Absolutely. No, yeah, 100% you do. We're, we, in the day and age in this modern game, you can't afford to carry any player. You look at the work you know, Raheem Sterling does. You look at the work Salah does, Mane does. Even Chelsea, you know, there's been, it's been well highlighted, you know, obviously with Lukaku, that he's not putting in the work in. Um, but all the best players, they put the graft in. They're all covering the distances, you know. They're getting back into position. They're getting, you know, they're making their team solid. And that's, that's a huge thing at, at the moment, you know, they're doing. You know, you can highlight, there's been a massive thing. Can Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo press? Of course he can press. But the idea is the structure has to be right behind the press. If Cristiano does press, you have your eights and tens that go with him. You've got your 7-11 and your wingers that are pushing up with them. But at, at the moment, United aren't doing that. They're a bit all over the place in terms of their pressing. And they're just getting picked off. And then, as what we touched on, then your defenders are being isolated. And at the moment, they're not dealing with situations. Um, and that's that's a massive problem for them. D- David, talking about recruitment, bad recruitment, Liverpool not really in that category whatsoever. I mean, if you look at the early signs of Luis Diaz, for example, it looks like he's going to be somebody who slots straight into this team. I assume you'd be quite confident of, of them progressing against a tricky Inter Milan uh, set of ties? I Look, I'd be confident. Um, certainly, the good thing for Liverpool is the second leg is at Anfield and we all know what Anfield's like on a European night. Um you know, it's obviously going to be a tough game. Um, Inter have obviously gone through a massive change after winning, you know, the league title. Um, obviously, with Conte leaving. Um, but certainly, Liverpool, are, are they're in a good place. What I love to see is, you know, obviously, after the African Cup of Nations, you've Salah's on the phone the following morning and said, look, I'm fit and available for the next game. I'm flying straight back. I don't need rest. I want to get myself back in. Of course, he's got his own individual targets with the top goal scorer. You know, he feels that Liverpool can win the Premier League. They can catch Manchester City. He feels that they can win the Champions League. Of course, then you look at Mane. Obviously, has that you know a huge week scoring the winning penalty. Um, but then he's back and he's starting at the weekend. You know, that's kind of where Liverpool are. You know, where Liverpool are at. Everything is kind of going in the right direction. You've seen the signing of Luis Diaz. He's been very impressive. Obviously, Harvey Elliott coming back. Um, is, I think it was the other day. It was the first time that Jurgen's had a full full fit 11 and um, well a full foot squad to pick 11 from um, in a long time which is only a massive you know massive plus because the game is going to come thick and fast Liverpool will want to continue this form of Champions League they'll want to go and win it of course you know the, the nine points by City with the game in hand they'll want to win that they play City um, I think it's in April so they're massive games and obviously he needs a full fit squad that he can rotate and you know Luis Diaz looks you know, he's, the signs early on are that he'll fit straight in. He'll be like another Diogo Jota, um, that kind of player, which is obviously massive because Liverpool have never really had that backup for Mane and Salah. Now these two, like you look at Firmino, he's kind of in and out of the team when he was always a mainstay, but that's, you know, down to the form of Jota. So it's great to see that Liverpool do have these five, six options up in the front three places. Um, obviously, competition is always healthy for a squad. 
David, my last question. You spoke about Liverpool's uh, front three. Let me talk about Liverpool's midfield three. I won't ask you who who's your preferred uh, three. You're talking about the options they have now in, in up top in the central midfield, getting players back from injury, which are as well for the second half of the season. But with those these big crucial games come around, the Manchester City game in particular, would look looking as if it's going to be a must-win game. Who's your who's your three in midfield in that kind of V-shaped Fabinho? I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the pivot as we spoke with Jordan Henderson that right side today who, I'm always interested in asking Liverpool supporters who's your third midfielder who goes in who's your preference to go in alongside those two players who best complements them and best complements that kind of high press high energy Liverpool style of play I'd probably go with Thiago um, just just for that um, extra bit of quality um, that he has over Henderson in terms of unlocking defences his ability, you know, with the one-twos, um, that kind of like, you know, that eye of a pass, he can see the pass, he can obviously pull off the pass. I think those three complement each other very well. Um, I think that's Liverpool's best three. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Thiago's the last person I pick, to be honest with you, in Liverpool's uh, midfield, probably for the <coughs> for the reasons that you've said. I, I take your point. <laughs> well, I take your yeah. point in terms of the technical qualities. He's probably the most yeah. technical player in there. But for me, and it's interesting in terms of what we're talking about, United in terms of high press, energy levels in, and kind of balancing the team. But for me, he actually unbalances Liverpool in that centre midfield. His lack of his lack of speed, his lack of mobility, his lack of defensive um, astuteness, for me, is actually a small weakness in the Liverpool team. And I mm. take your point, that's counteracted by the qualities which he has in possession. And that's the point, of, I suppose that's the interesting argument with uh, Thiago people will see it differently uh, David will look at those qualities and say yeah he gets into the team because of that I look from the opposite point of view in terms of those defensive uh, 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 qualities which he, or which he hasn't got and say that's why he doesn't get into my uh, Liverpool team but I think that's a really interesting one going forward for Liverpool yeah. in terms of like the personality of the team that high intense that high intensity play high energy play <clears> which have got the, has got them this success for so long and uh, uh, David, do they kind of veer away from that? Those Harvey, Harvey Elliott coming in, you know, he's not in the same mould as Henderson, isn't he? In terms of physical specimen, athlete again, more of a technical player, more of a stylish uh, central midfield player. Maybe Court Jones to a certain extent as well. That would be just interesting for me. Just on, on Thiago, Kenny. Like, do, do you agree with what Kenny is saying there, David, or or is he right? But you would actually just take into account those weaknesses and still start him, given mm-hmm. his teammates. No, I, I agree with. <clears throat> excuse me, I agree with Kenny. Um, there's been several times when Thiago has played, he's gone to get the ball off the back four, and he's tried to be, you know, a bit of, a bit expansive, and he's he's ended up giving away the ball. Um, he's given away a couple of needless free kicks on the edge of the box, the odd penalty here and there. Um, I definitely think you know him as a six out and right. I wouldn't feel as confident as Fabinho or Henderson. Um, that's why I would play him more advanced. I get Kenny's point. He doesn't have that tactical awareness, but. A lot of it does come down to your opposition. Um, you know, you look at Thiago, obviously he's had you know a wonderful career with Barcelona. Um, like obviously he'd been young pup playing on that side, but Bayern Munich certainly playing that six. They dominated 99% of their games in terms of possession, so it was easy for him to play. Now I know the Premier League's off different. Like if we look at like Liverpool going to Milan tomorrow and playing in that game, does Jürgen go with them? No, I wouldn't be surprised if Jürgen probably played, and I genuinely mean this, he probably played Fabinho, Henderson and Milner. Um, try to get three workhorses in there Fabinho kind of sitting there like a dog owner holding the two dogs on a leash like letting them go win here there and everywhere just to create that create that work ethic that drive yeah. that you know that desire barrier yeah I know what you're yes. saying yeah. 
it's a lot of it will come down as well um, to opposition and what you know if you're playing home or away how good the, like when it comes to Man City what way will Europe go then um, like the front three kind of pick itself you know that's it's a lot of it is that like yeah. but there's good I options there David I will say that he's got good options yeah. there now Klopp in terms <clears> of that central midfield and forward area he's players yeah. with different qualities you know what I mean we're talking you know technical abilities great athletes and I think David's right a, a lot of them some of them might come down to in terms of quality of the opposition you know what's their strength well, you might actually think I need that little bit more creative edge in central midfield against this in- I- I'm a big fan of di- this Inter Milan team particularly defensively I think their back three if you can get Bastoni uh, De Vries and Srinier on the pitch that's as good a defensive uh, unit as you're going to get across Europe so you might have a look at that and the bit of screen they have in front of think you know I le- need that little bit more of a creative <coughs> edge in that central area of the pitch and that might get Thiago the nod yeah. uh, for the game you know it could come down to that and the thing is I mean the, as David pointed out there as well the, the bill of health is looking good for Liverpool as well at a really important time of the season fighting on two fronts though I don't think anybody any Liverpool fan is giving up on the chase on Manchester City just yet either uh, David great chat this morning thanks a million for hopping on the call don't, Here's be, lads. don't be a stranger David you got me number uh, Kenny Kenny, Kenny you got likewise. me number you lost it you've lost no, it no Kenny get, yeah no I'll get on the forward on I'll get on the yeah, forward I was, on I was talking to Delaney the other day he said you were, you're ringing him all the time you know what oh, I mean yeah. you've just, John Delaney just... John Delaney oh we've got we've got a scoop no. here oh, we've got a scoop no Damien Delaney <laughs> oh sorry sorry <laughs> he says Damien says you're always on to pestering him it's good lad Danny. he drops you the occasional text Damien how's it going <laughs> you dropped the more than occasional yeah, nice text lad, nice lad Damien nice lad I like, I like Damien yeah, yeah. they're all right, good gents. from Cork David great yeah. stuff cheers take Why care see you later one by one uh, plenty of reaction to that chat there really good breakdown of the midfield and the defence of both Manchester United and Liverpool in Bod We Trust 13 says no mention of the fact that De Gea simply doesn't play as a sweeper keeper and refuses to come off his line maybe uh, definitely an element of that in the conversation here as well Mark says doubt there will be a queue lining up to sign Maguire so not easy to just get rid of him which is definitely a fair point they'll want to get a bit of uh, return on their investment Seamus says Declan Rice is too expensive get Yuri Tielemans the contract is running down. Uh, Stephen says <laughs> the volume of bass Kenny made by banging the table earlier. We thought we hit a badger on the road. LOL. Uh, so did I, Stephen. I thought we hit a badger on the road here as well. But good, good to hit a bit of bass for us. One other. We'll, there's a lot of different um, questions here, but one I wanted to just put to you from Dublin Souls. Does Kenny do Wordle? He let today's one slip out. It sounded very deliberate. Sorry, what? <laughs> I think that's your answer. Uh, you, you, have you heard of Wordle? No. Oh. So Wordle is a word game, which is a, is a daily game where every day you get the opportunity to guess a new five-letter word. It uh, has to be a word. Is it that, has to be a word, yeah. It's not a made-up word. No, it's always countdown, a real word. So like count, a bit of a countdown yeah. thing, jumble letters. So you have six attempts to get the word. And when you type in a word... Oh, oh and I'm like... I'm overcooking him, my brains. I, I saw my... I've, I've gone, it, it will tell you whether or not the letter is correct whether or not it's in the right place or whether or not it's totally wrong and then you've got six attempts to get it that's, <laughs> that's the succinct and very uh, not at all uh, not at all clear got know your play- as you're saying football you've got to know your players yeah I really do the answer to your question uh, dear listener is no Kenny does not play Wordle and uh, he accidentally let this morning's one uh, slip out uh, let's have a look at the sports pages this morning otbsports.com you might get a look at in a second we can have a look at it right now Minister gives Caseman Park assurances despite Stadia funding cuts Pat Nevin talking about the handling of the Kurt Zuma situation. They did the right thing for themselves, is what he says re- regards to West Ham United. Maggie Farrelly to make Allianz Football League history by refereeing a game this weekend. 
and James Lowe is back in training, which is good news for Leinster and, of course, good news for Ireland. And Camilla Villieva cleared to compete at Winter Games. And that is one of the main stories on a lot of the, the UK back pages anyway. A mess in the making is the headline on the back of The Guardian. Villieva skates on for now. But why did it come to this? That's Sean Ingalls' piece leading the way there. Uh, the day the Olympics died is how the Daily Telegraph frame it a little bit more dramatic than The Guardian, to say the least. Uh, Fury as Valieva is cleared to compete after failed drugs tests. We might do something a little bit more on that as uh, the week progresses. Uh, the Irish Times leads with Owen Doyle's column this morning on the rugby at the weekend. Ireland contributed massively to the tournament's best match so far and Jerry Thornley says Ireland display shows how far this team has travelled. At the back of the London Times is Fury at drug cheat reprieve. Russian skater 15 cleared to compete today. The back of the Irish Sun then is Rangxiety. Ralph says stars scared to commit to my pressing game, which is uh, one way of putting it for sure. Uh, the back page of the mirror is improve or else. Raniak admits Skipper McGuire is out of form and claims he's struggling to adapt to a back four. The Irish Daily Star is keep calm and harry on. Maguire under pressure, but Ralph won't budge. Then a couple of other ones. Talking heads is the back, the headline on the back of the Irish Daily Mail. Faltering United, uh, faltering United players refer to psychologists. Every time Kenny Cunningham is in, Sasha Lenza, the Manchester United psychologist, gets brought up. It seems that they've been talking about working with this guy for a long time, but he is going to be working with him this week, according to those reports. Henry Shefflin, though, is the front of the Irish Examiner sports section. All the right moves. That's based on a Liam Sheedy column that says, the evidence is suggesting that Henry has woken a sleeping giant. The Herald goes with Ranić as well. We have to raise level. United boss admits to fourth place in league is best they can hope for as uh, Bamone's second half collapses. And then finally, it is the Irish Independent and they go with the GEA and they are going to stick with cashless turnstiles despite glitch. Only minuscule numbers impacted by technical error at hurling league games. Uh, Tyrone and Armath to learn fate is Colin Keyes' story here, but we're hearing reports this morning that the bans have been upheld and there's a photograph there of Lionel Messi preparing to face his old foes, which are, of course, Real Madrid. Right, it is 8.48. You're with us here on OTBAM, and I'm delighted to welcome Olympian Emmett Brennan to the show. Emmett, how are you getting on? I'm good, yeah. Um, I'm just training away, and I'm, as I said, I'm hoping for another Katie show, so um, I've started camping and training as if I'm going to be on the show, although I haven't heard any word yet. Brilliant. So for people who aren't fully aware of the story here I'm sure everybody would have seen Emmett fight in Tokyo last summer and then I guess the decision has essentially been made to go professional at this point Emmett and you're eyeing up your professional debut to be on the undercard of the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fight Yeah like I'm 99% sure I'm going to go pro Um, I'm suited to professional boxing like the Olympics was always the dream, but it was never suited to amateur boxing. It's a lot faster pace, whereas um, the professional game is a little bit slower and it's uh, it's suited more to my style. But like, there'd be no better debut than the Kate Taylor show. And for me, like even looking from the outside, it just makes perfect sense. Um, there's going to be a huge crowd of travelling Irish fans Um and I, as I said, I have that good, exciting, professional style. It, it makes perfect sense to have me on the show. Where are the talks at at the moment then? Um, so there hasn't really been much. I got in contact myself with Matchroom yesterday um, via email. So, look, they obviously know. They've seen me stuff online. Um, they do know about it. So I'm just waiting to hear back from them. 
have you been in touch with Matchroom in the past? Is it just did you just go onto their website, just get an email, and just just go at it off your own bat sort of thing, or or do you think that you've got an in there that they are listening to what you're saying? Um, I was actually I was supposed to go over. So Matchroom have a, a a gym in London. I was supposed to go and train there just before Christmas. Um, but things just didn't didn't work out in terms of I was coming back from shoulder injury. It wasn't the right move to go over while I wasn't in the best condition. So I never went over. So I, they definitely do know about me. Um, it's just just trying to get the word out there and try and get a little bit of um, a little bit of social media presence behind it. And like as I said, like from the outside to me anyway, it just makes perfect sense. What would your message be to Eddie Hearn then if he was weighing up who to pick for his undercard? Like, there is a big Irish crowd going over. Um, they're going to be, I would imagine, the majority of the ticket sales that travelling across the Atlantic Ocean. Like, they've asked for me to be on the show, so it's up it's up to him whether he listens or not. Um, I think he will, because I, I'm not saying put me on the show because I'm an Olympian. I offer a lot more than that like going forward I'm actually looking to move to New York um, so that's where I'm going to be basing myself I'm going to be basing myself there with a full Irish team behind me as a managers uh, trainers it's all going to be Irish um, so the vision for me is to have the whole Irish American community on the east coast of America behind me um, so it's not just I'm an Olympian, put me on your show. Mm. It's like I can actually offer you something going forward after the show. Just for a bit of background then, Emmett, when you say that they've asked for you to be on the show, who are you referring to there? So there's been a big social media, um, i say outcry over the last few days. Loads of people looking for me to be on the show. And then I've, I've loads of contacts in New York. I've, a lot of my friends um, live in New York they are dying to get behind someone from Ireland over there in terms of boxing because there hasn't there's been people coming and going and fighting on the east coast but there hasn't been someone really living there and actually being in the Irish community day to day um, from what I can gather from your friends in New York they are dying to get behind someone and I guess the context of the main fight in the bill is somebody who came from the Olympic setup and has obviously made an unbelievable career for herself in the professional ranks as well. There is, I guess, a, a certain similarity to, to the storylines. Yeah, a, there is a certain similarity. Um, I'm told that Katie would have gone professional at a similar age mm. to myself. She came off the back of Rio. I'm coming off the back of Tokyo. Um, so there is similarities there. Obviously, Katie has a lot more exposure and she's a lot more well-known. Um, but there is similarities. We both have a similar fighting style as well where we're, we're in exciting fights. We're coming forward and we're looking to put on a show for the fans. So there, there definitely is a lot of uh, similarities there. Um, and I think like in, in terms of personality as well, um, we come across well. We're both humble. We both come from a good background. Um yeah, so there is a lot of similarities. How strange is it training for a fight that you're not sure will happen? Um, look, I'm going to have to train anyway. It's not like yeah. I'm not going to be training. Um, it just, I suppose, it gives me a goal and a vision. Like, I'm all in on this. I believe it's going to happen. Um, so that's why I've started my camp. Like, I don't want to 
anything could happen. They mightn't put me on the show. Someone could get COVID. Someone could get injured. And they might need me on the show. Do you get me? Like So yeah. I will be training as if I'm fighting on that. Even if I don't get the go-ahead for it, I'm still going to be looking towards that because professional boxing, anything can happen. To what extent is this uh, a bit of a high-wire act, Emmett, in terms of money and in terms of finances? Because obviously your, your story into Tokyo was well known that you took out a credit union loan to keep the dream alive. You did qualify for, for the Games in June and the dream did eventually materialise and it, and it paid off mm. and you got to go to Tokyo. And I think everybody became so magnetised towards your story at that point. I guess what I'm trying, what I'm wondering now is that essentially from saying that you're 99% professional, does that mean you're not entitled to the amateur boxing funding and essentially you need to find a new stream of income pretty soon? No, I am on funding. I'm right. still, I've got me funding for the next year. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm guaranteed that funding because okay. I, I got to the Olympics. Um, but like, I haven't closed the door on amateur boxing in case something does go wrong if I try to go professional. Um, it's just that my style of boxing isn't suited to amateur boxing. Sure. Um, the way I would describe it is you have running, you have 100 metres and you have a marathon. Um, Usain Bolt is the best 100 metres in the world, but you wouldn't be great over a marathon distance. Professional boxing to me is like a marathon, where amateur boxing is like a sprint. And I'm suited to the marathon distance and not the sprint distance. Um, so that's where I'm coming from about going professional. Do I go after the Olympics again? Whereas I'm not suited to that. I'm not suited to that style of boxing. So it's it's just about it's about making sense now of what I'm doing and not just going after the dream. Is this your first oh, year? Sorry, just, oh, sorry. Just sorry. Back to back to what you said there on like the whole me backing myself getting to the Olympics um, and really really investing myself. This is where I. I sort of, oh, I'm similar to a lot of people that's living on the East Coast of America. I'm talking about the Irish community. So these have all backed themselves and they've emigrated to a different country. I'll be doing something stim- similar and they can see themselves in my story. So that's why I think I'm going to be a big hit on the East Coast. Uh, one of the reasons. For sure. Like, I mean, is that yeah. the thing that's, motivating you Emmett is it the sense of getting over there and and being a success in the United States of America is that is that a, a huge carrot for you as as much as everything else in terms of the sporting success as well yeah so like I also as I said I think like a lot of the people in New York will recognize my story and they have similarities to it um I went over in November for three weeks just to, to see if I like the place and see if I go around with the people and straight away I knew this is a place that I can I can make a future in. It's a place that I can get people to back me and I can get I can get the whole Irish community behind me and um I think we can start some sort of movement over there because there hasn't really been as I said, there hasn't really been an Irish an Irish boxer that has lived there full time. Um not in not in the last ten ten years anyway. Um and they are crying out for that. So I do, I, I think it's going to be a real, real success. And I think have a match room on board that, like you are such a major influence in boxing, can really, really start that off. Have you eyed up potential opponents for the end of April? Um, That would be down to match room. As I said, I'll be making my debut. 
I'm not going to be fighting a superstar in my first fight. The way professional boxing goes is you might have one or two, um, I say, easier opponents at the start. Mm. But then again, as I said, I'm 30, so I want to be, I want to hit the ground running, and after maybe three or four fights, really start facing stiff competition. We've seen on social media as well that Barry Keown is uh, offering to walk you out on the night. So you've got pretty high profile support. Yeah, so like you're talking about Barry Keoghan, um one of Ireland's leading actors, um starred in the Marvel films, which is one of the most successful franchises in the world. So even by having him there, you're you're getting a new audience to the show that mightn't have been there. You're getting because Marvel's is huge around around worldwide. You're gonna you're basically shown the Kate Taylor Bill to a new audience. And then on top of Barry Kelvin, if I have him walking out, I'm sure I can get a top top Irish artist to sing us out to the ring as well. So it'll be a real show and uh, something that not many people have done on their debut. As you can see from the way I'm talking, I'm very, very ambitious in the way that I'm thinking. And I think like if Matchroom are looking at this, they're saying, well, this guy is offering us something different. He's very, very ambitious. He's not just talking about fighting, he's talking about bringing the show along with him and getting a whole community of people behind them. How much does it inspire you, the other stories that have come out of Ireland in the recent past and the likes of Matchroom have been head over heels for? Like, I mean, I'm just thinking of like even the, the Eric Donovan story. Like, I mean, after he was beaten, what was it, last summer, maybe the summer before I get the years mixed up, and Eddie Hearn was just glowing in his praise of Eric Donovan as a man and as a boxer afterwards, that there is a huge market out there for stories like yours for stories that people around the world will uh, take and and look to root for as time goes on yeah like Eric, Eric especially to me is an inspiration mm. because obviously he has a backstory to himself and that's something that's very important when you're going professional as a boxer you do need a backstory behind you because you want to be more than a fighter you want to be a personality and you want people to recognise themselves in you so they can get behind you and again, Eric went pro at a similar age to me and he's a bit older now, but he's, he's living a good, healthy life and it shows that you can still have a, a career into your mid to late 30s. Um, so he would be something that I would be, I would be on my professional career off. Um, and I keep in touch with Eric regular. He's a, he's a great person and he's an inspiration and like he's fighting now in the next few weeks and he has a, again, he has another chance to like if he wins this fight, he's probably in contention near enough world level, which is remarkable if you look at what he's done. For sure. So what what happens next, Emmett? I mean, hopefully over the next little while, you do hear back from Matchroom and, and the wheels get in motion. But what will you be doing in terms of the things that you can control? Yeah, so I'm going off to New York for uh, for the training camp now in three weeks. Um so for the next three weeks, I'm sort of in general preparation. And then that will leave me eight weeks out from the potential fight that I want to be on. So then I'll really start to ramp training up. I'll pick, I'll start sparring. Um, I'll be over in New York, hopefully. So I'll be getting around the Irish community and really trying to get a crowd behind me. Because um, realistically, for this fight, like this fight sells itself, like... I don't really need to sell tickets for this, but I want to show Matchroom the next show they can bring on the East Coast. I'm going to have a huge crowd behind me. So f- for me, 
the thing is to get the word out in New York. And I'm looking at so much ideas and doing that. Um, as I said, I'm going to have an Irish background, um, like a background team behind me that have been very, very successful in New York and have brilliant, brilliant uh, connections within the Irish-American community over there. So, um, yeah, the next thing for me is get the word out in, on the East Coast of America. Just one last question, Emmett, and I think it plays into what you are just talking about there. How much has... Not so much has how has your life changed, but how much has your perception of the support that you've got changed post the Olympic Games last year? Because I've mentioned it a couple of times, you've mentioned it a couple of times, that, that, that defeat to the Uzbek fighter in Tokyo, the reaction to your interview afterwards was absolutely massive. Like, Did that change your perception of how much support there is out there for you and how much there will be there for you if this thing does happen in April? Yeah, um, so I've obviously pre-Tokyo, I didn't actually realise like the amount of people that, one, knew me, and then two, were actually supporting me. And I think it's because I'm a normal person with a story behind me that people can sort of see themselves. Or maybe maybe they're working a job that they don't like and they took inspiration from that to maybe go down a different career path. Like The support I've got is... Honestly, it's been incredible. Um, like I'm still getting stopped on the street by people saying, well done, the Olympics. Like, it was inspirational. And then online, I'm still getting like two, three, four messages a week of strangers saying, well done. Um, I heard you on such and such. Your story is inspirational to me. I really wish I could do that. Um, and in terms of what I've done, I basically changed the career path and I went for something. I went for my dream. It's something that everyone can recognise because everyone can do that. It's not like I've done something exceptional. I basically changed my focus to something that made me happy and something that gave me a goal and a vision. Um, as I said, it's something that every single person can do. You must be absolutely, unbelievably delighted that you did make that decision and that you did take that leap. Yeah, I am because like I've made the decision roughly five to six years ago now. I, I haven't looked back Um I've got to experience some incredible things. I got to see some incredible places and meet some brilliant, brilliant people. Like the networking of people I have um, right now is unbelievable. I was talking to a friend last week and I said, I don't have, I don't have much money, but I'm rich with the people that I know and the people that I have around me. And I truly believe that um, I'm so, so lucky, but I wouldn't have this. I wouldn't have having all this at, at my feet if I didn't make that change. Lemon, we wish you all the best. I presume social media is the best place for people to follow you to, to keep track of how this progresses over the next few weeks. Yeah, and like, I just want to say thanks to everyone that shared that shared it. Like it's, um, over the last few days, I've got so much backing and so many people text me saying, look, I really, really hope you get this. And I think they're very sincere about it. So many people tagging Eddie Hearn, tagging Matchroom. Um, it's unbelievable. And I'm just going to keep up on it because um, the kind of person I am is if I'm going after something, I'm going after it 100%. And as I said, I offer Matchroom something going forward. It's not, I'm not asking to be on the show because I'm Irish and an Olympian. I'm asking to be on the show because I really, really believe I offer them something going forward. I offer them something on the east coast of America which they haven't really tapped into yet. They haven't had an Irish boxer 
consistently fighting on the East Coast that lives over there. Um, it's a market that I think they can tap into. And maybe if they have me there, they can bring in fighters in maybe five, six, seven years and they can keep this tradition going for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, well... But- it's not, sorry, yeah, it's something that can can really help propel matchroom on the East Coast of America or in the Irish community. Emmett, we wish you all the best over the next little while. Good luck with the training and hopefully things come Brilliant. together Thanks for the end of April. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Emmett Brennan there, uh, Irish Olympian on the line. It's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out over the next little while. April 30th is uh, the date of that card in Madison Square Garden. It's going to be a massive night and hopefully for a, a number of different levels. Right, we're going to be joined by Manchester City underage coach Jamie Carr after this break. But during that break, we'll just get a quick taste of Keith Wood on Monday Night Rugby. OTB AM. <laughs> Kenny Cunningham is not repeating himself, he said. We just had a, a great chat off air, which we were going to do on air once again because we've got uh, Jamie Carr, academy coach at Manchester City, with us in studio. Jamie, how are you getting on? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So you're here to talk about football, which you will get to in a moment. But most importantly, the incredible challenges that you're undertaking this year. So if you haven't heard about this, so you are currently training for the Marathon de Sab in the Sahara Desert. It's described as the toughest foot race on earth. That's at the end of March. And then in December 2022, because that's not enough, you're going to be taking part in a race across the Atlantic Ocean, rowing alone and unsupported. So you're going to be covering more than 3,000 miles from La Gomera on the Canary Islands all the way over to Antigua. And you're doing all these challenges in support of Cancer Fund for Children, which is a charity which supports children with a cancer diagnosis in Ireland and their families. The charity is fundraising at the moment to build a second therapeutic centre in Kong, County Mayo, and they need to raise over 12 million euro to do so. Just first of all, before we get into the challenges, why have you picked this charity? How close is it to your heart? And, and, and the work they do looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, so I, I kind of stumbled across Cancer Fund for Children um, online and um, straight away I was just drawn into the great work they do, some of the videos and stuff that I've seen on their website and then having gone to visit Daisy Lodge and seeing the great work they do, it's just been phenomenal and um, they're supporting so many people across Ireland and the need for the second short break centre is there. So uh, we're doing everything we can now at the moment to fundraise and, um, and help them get where they need to get to for the second facility. As I say, at the end of March is when you do the marathon, they sab. Where is the training at at the moment? <laughs> the training is going well. Um, I completed probably the longest run I'm going to do in training last weekend, which was 53k. So uh, I've got the next month to sort of keep ticking along and add in some more big mileage weeks, but uh, probably nothing as, as big as that. So I'm um, feeling like I'm in a good place and uh, the key now is just to make sure you stay injury free in the lead up to the next sort of uh, three or four weeks. What is the programme of the race? So it's essentially 250 kilometres spread over six days. So you have more or less a marathon a day until you get to day four. And then on day four, it goes crazy and you do a double marathon. So you get through day four, which is the big sort of hurdle. And then after that, you have one more marathon and then you get your medal and you're done. What kind of temperatures, Jamie? I'm getting like... Getting dizzy even uh, listening to you. Talk, what kind of temperatures are we talking about? I imagine they're pretty consistent. You can hang your hat in terms of what you're going to be experiencing over the course of those six days. What, what are you looking at? Yeah, it's crazy. So last year, I think they registered like 55 to 58 degrees, which is... Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish. So, um, yeah, it's Jeez. hard to get your head around. But how do you... you have, you've got a full-time... Sorry, I'm taking over now. You've got a full-time job, uh, you're getting your training in, but surely the, in terms of you need to immerse yourself in that, 
those kind of conditions you need to be trained in that for a significant amount of time surely can't just drop yourself into that for, for the period of six days when you've been yeah. running up the, the M6 or M56 <laughs> around Manchester or whatever like you know what I mean yeah 100% luckily enough Man City have provided me with their heat chamber so I can get somewhat acclimatised before I go out there really but yeah I've been working in the heat chamber at about 40 degrees at the moment and that's tough so I've got another nice colour there I'll say that it has has own isn't it yeah nice little spin off nice little spin off (laughs) really and that's and that's getting you where you need you need to be yeah there's going to be a certain level of unknowns and that you just can't prepare for because the humidity out there and all sorts and just the conditions you're not going to be able to replicate like sand dunes and all sorts so basically you're doing what you can sand dunes camels you can't replicate camels can you (laughs) no exactly Manchester either like yeah (laughs) yeah no the British winter is not a good training uh, venue for the Saturday do you ever see on the training pitch the, the, the lads actually think no you're a coach at Manchester City or just that fellow heads into the tank every morning for six yeah. hours yeah that lunatic they see yeah that's about it I was at, yeah exactly so the odd person comes in and out of the heat chamber and they're probably thinking who is this crazy guy but yeah time Jamie I mean do you have a do you have a spare do you have time do you have time to yourself or personal anything does anything else yeah. exist outside of your work and your you're training well this is a big hobby of mine doing these sort of adventures doing these challenges so um, it's a hobby but one thing I'm, I'm learning at the moment is running a campaign is almost a full time job on its own in terms of looking for sponsors driving fundraising so yeah. it's kind of like I've got my day job with City Academy I've then got the training which is my part time job and then I've got running a campaign on top of that so yeah it's all fun and games whereabouts are you whereabouts in the Sahara does the race take place so basically you fly to Morocco right. and then you, they drive you six hours into the Sahara Desert in the middle of nowhere, which you don't get told where. And then on, on, on that day, they'll tell you, right, from here on, you're now doing X amount of kilometres in this direction and uh, that will be your finish mark. And it changes each year, each time. So you don't know how long you're doing or exactly where you're going. So right. it's hard to prepare, really. It's an unbelievable mental challenge. Yeah, it's going to be tough um, Yeah, and dealing with the conditions. It, I'm not doing it to break any records or anything like that. It's more of a race just to, to survive and push myself, really, and, uh, and test myself. And I'm really looking forward to that sort of day four where it's 85 kilometres. I know it sounds crazy, but uh, that's the day where you'll learn a lot about yourself, I can imagine. Many runners, sorry, uh, is there a team of uh, many people are... It's just yeah. yourself. No, 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 it's a race. This, oh, this is a proper a race. race. It right. happens every year. I think there would be about 400 people do it each year from all over the world. Right, good. Yeah, 400 other lunatics so yeah it should be fun it helps doesn't it I'd imagine Jamie <laughs> mentally it helps having that but yeah. seeing bodies people alongside you as opposed to I would have thought doing it by yourself in solitude is absolutely yeah well direct, like just having people there and pushing yourselves like day in day out they say that in some ways it's great to have the the people around you to push you but on yeah. the other hand when you see other people in like dropping out it can be also a negative yeah you're like, just oh. dropping down the sides of those sand dunes yeah, and just going really down down exactly exactly <laughs> the one thing that is probably not very communal whatsoever is going to be when you hop into a boat then later this year <laughs> and try and row across the Atlantic has the training started for that yet or are you just waiting until the marathon is done good question essentially the funny thing is and every time I tell people this they laugh I've never set foot in the rowing boat before in my life I've never rowed a stroke in my life and wow. I still haven't got my boat yet my boat's arriving in a couple ah, of weeks come on time. Jane come on so, now, seriously <laughs> is, there, is there anything that are you, are you on the rowing machine at least or? Uh, yeah I did a solid six month block on the rowing machine about a year ago and then since then it's just been focused on the run and then once I get this run done then we're uh, we're into full on training for the row so is it fair to say you've kind of compartmentalised that you haven't thought of that mental challenge yet and what that entails 
Yeah, I'm just trying to give the Martin de Sab the respect it deserves because it's yeah. a really tough race. I don't want to like the row is the big one, but if I take my eye off the ball on that one, I might not make it. So it's really important to focus on this one, and then I have six months to 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 really learn to row and get myself familiarised with the boat. What part of the row, other than the physical stuff, are you perhaps least looking forward to? Like, what do you think will be the, the biggest challenge about being out there for so long? Yeah, so people often say like being out there for two or three months on your own would be really difficult. That might be difficult. I don't know because who, who's ever done that? Spent that much time alone? I don't know. Um, it's probably because I'm not experienced in the ocean. I've got no maritime experience. Things like my first storm, like trusting the boat that it's going to get through this. Yeah. Those sort of moments where you're like, well, this is ropey. Um, it's all the sort of unknowns with the ocean I'm sort of not comfortable with yet. Like you have to jump in, in the water and clean the bottom of the boat every week or so. Otherwise, like... You've got to do chores as well. Yeah, exactly, oh, yeah. God's sake. So it's... <laughs> I, I don't... I'm not a fan of sharks, so if I see a shark and then they're expecting me to jump in and clean that boat, there's, uh, there's no chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, there's obviously a, a very, very good cause for why you're doing this. Is there something inside in your own head about proving to yourself that you can do these two things in the same year on top of the brilliant work for charity that you're doing? Uh, yeah, I suppose it's just the, the, the whole element of challenge. Yeah. I, I really love challenges. Like I've done loads of small little challenges over the last few years and, which give me a purpose in the mornings when I wake up. This is what I'm working towards, um, which I lost when I finished playing football. So yeah, these challenges give me that and they keep me on track and uh, they keep me focused and, uh, and driven really. So yeah, that's sort of what's driving me to, to get them done. Where can people follow your journey and donate? Yeah, so uh, the nothingventuredcampaign.com is my website. Um, the Nothing Venture campaign on uh, Instagram as well. And there's a donate page there if, if anyone would like to do so. And I'm still actively looking for sponsors to come on board as well to help me get to where we need to get to for, for a Cancer Fund for Children as well. So any support would be massively appreciated. Brilliant. And we'll tweet out links to, to those as well on our social media pages. Jamie, just you mentioned there the football career, that looking for a new challenge after that. Uh, stopped. So, can you tell us through, talk us through your your own playing background? Yeah, so uh, fairly unglamorous to be honest. Played in the League of Ireland. The club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, played League of Ireland, and then when I was sort of in my early twenties, I realised that I'm not going to be able to have a sustainable career here. What was your schoolboy club, James? You're going to dig in here. Where'd you uh, play? Paul Marnick. Paul Marnick. Yeah, Is yeah. that where you're? Uh, Pomarnik Malahoy, that's where yeah, you are. So I live in Baldoyle, yeah. So oh, I got you, like, yeah, yeah. North, north side's on the up home. Yeah. <laughs> I've had this conversation before, I've told you. I know. Emma, North Strand. Yeah. Yeah. All, all north side. I'm telling you, it's I all live, happening. It's I happening. I live the north side, so I mean, we're, we're in good company here, right? <laughs> but yeah, so did that and then um, uh, got the opportunity to go to India and work for Reading in the middle of nowhere in the Himalaya Mountains. So I took a gamble and went for that. And then on the back of doing six months out there, they offered me a full-time job in the academy. Um, and I spent sort of five years at Reading before then moving to, to Manchester City. Does that come as a result of coaching? Are you doing coaching badges? Are you, are you, are you, are you, how do you work your way into a point where Reading wants you to go and coach abroad? Yeah, so I'd done sort of my coaching badges previously um, before I went to England. So um, I went to IT Carlo uh, and I did a lot of my coaching badges there, which was, which was, which was brilliant. Um, but yeah, so they're important, but uh, it's sort of learning on the job. You learn a hell of a lot more than those coaching badges, that's for sure. What was the point of Reading having coaches in India? Good question. Um, still don't know the full answer to that, other than um, 
we got sent to the northeast, which is on the Himalayas and the border of China. So uh, very different to coaching England. Like we were just coaching disadvantaged children that had right. next to nothing, which sort of links into why I'm doing these challenges now and supporting children's charities because I saw the impact that such small things can have on children. So, um, yeah, long story short, but yeah, I ended up in India, six months there with no Wi-Fi, no internet, totally different way of life. Um, and then, Food, how did you manage? Oh, like it I was, was interested. Yeah, no. Heavy belly and all that, how did you manage? Yeah, Struggle. I, I got that, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> first time I've ever uh, projectile vomited was in India, so yeah, um, no, it was crazy. You better get used to that before you get in the boat <laughs> at, the, at the end of the year. Yeah, seasickness oh, and all that, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. Really, Life experience is, uh, is unbelievable. How old are you now, Jamie? 30. 30. It's scary, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? You don't look back, obviously. Obviously, you're very much in terms of what's ahead of you and, you know, plowing ahead and stuff. But amazing, amazing life story so far. Fair play to you. Feel yeah. a bit, uh, feel a bit, uh, feel a bit humbled. <laughs> uh, what about yourself? No, I'm feeling humble. You definitely must be feeling oh, a bit 100%. humble. <laughs> You're closer to the, their childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, that point that you made there about, uh, I guess, trying that, that trip to India sparks something in you that you want to try and do something good with your career. You want to try and give back a little bit. Like, uh, what, what do you see? How does that change? Is a penny dropping when you're on that trip to India or you're not a trip to India when you're literally working in India and, and immersing yourself there? Or is that something that you always had? W- would you always have done something like this or is that actually quite a, a pivotal moment in your own career? Yeah, I suppose that sparked the interest in helping children. Mm. Um, and then when I got my full time job working with kids day to day who are trying to achieve their dreams and helping them along that journey, you do, it's, it's extremely rewarding and you get a nice feeling and and I do feel like we're all important role models for the next generation and we need to lead and, and do things in the right way. Um, and if I can help a few children along the way do, while doing some things I really want to do, well, well brilliant. And, and that's sort of where I'm at now. How does Manchester City come up? Um, it was headhunted. Yeah, of course. You only course. take the best, Manchester good. City. We know that. That's a very good point. Good agent. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, end up just applying for the job there and uh, yeah, got it. And four years later, still here. Um, and hopefully, it's a brilliant place to work. It's one of the best academies in England and, and even across the world. So uh, what a place to learn. What a place to, to be surrounded by the best players and also the best the coaches as well. So brilliant environment and you learn so much every day, which is just an absolute privilege. You're probably best suited to the kind of academy system. If you mentioned, obviously, on a, a bigger level, you enjoy working with younger children, giving them obviously a bit of leadership, giving them a bit of direction and stuff like that. So no real ambition in terms of being... You know, the next story, seeing your manager or, or progressing along that kind of career path, you're kind of happy in the environment that you're in in the academy, working with younger players and kind of developing yeah. younger players. Is that, do you kind of see, is that how you see yourself potentially going forward or partly anyway? Yeah, was, I miss the competitive element of football as oh, well. Right. Well, like growing up in Ireland, it's all about winning, isn't it? And competition and every weekend, that's what it's all about. And when you go to England in the academy system, it's very different. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so I do miss that. And that's yeah. the spark that I do miss from playing. And once you get to sort of 18s up in England, you, competition comes back in. Yeah. So I would like to get back to sort of that at some stage. But I'm in no rush. I'm loving what I'm doing. So whenever that happens, that will happen. Um, yeah. But... Interesting, I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not in a race what age group are you mostly working with in the academy so I do the under 14s at the academy here and in Reading I did sort of broad spectrum of teenagers 12s to 16s so um, yeah you say that there's no competitiveness until you get over the age of 18 there is that a little bit at odds with the idea of an academy in the first place that you're, the kids that are there are possibly there to you know, maybe from their parents perspectives to get a contract one day so how do you manage to maintain that level of fun 
while also maintaining the fact that this is a pretty serious academy on, on a holistic sense. Yeah, well, I think we are, we all can get carried away at times thinking, right, we're working at Man City, we're, we're working with the best players. But also it's these kids' hobby as well. They're still kids at this stage. So um, you can never lose sight of the fact that it is children playing football at the moment. Yes, they're trying to pursue a career in the game, but they're not there yet. So fun is always an important element of every training session, of, of every part of it. Um, but then it's just drip feeding the little bit more seriousness as it starts becoming a career and and um, things become a little bit more serious because inevitably there's some big decisions that always happen at under-16s in the academy journey mm. and that's when people either get a shock or they get that sort of big boost and step up to the next level. Kids must hate your uh, warm-ups. 16, 16 <laughs> kilometre kilomer warm-ups in the exactly, heat chamber. Exactly, exactly. 18 times around the training ground. I've seen about two hours, lads. Warm yourselves up. Manchester City going to the fittest academy in about five or six years' time. Is, is, is the academy... At, at that age, dipping into all areas of the world, has scouting begun at, the, at that age or is it more localised? Uh, well, traditionally, uh, it would have been a lot of Europe. European players would have been scouted. But now that Brexit's happened, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the English academy system. Um, I know at 16s and up, we used to recruit quite heavily from Spain and other cu- countries like that. However, I don't know if that's going to be possible now. Um, and Obviously, we're seeing a lot of Irish players, young Irish players now going to Italy and the likes of that. So... That'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but uh, certainly national recruitment in the UK is something that takes place sort of from 12 to 16 at City and a lot of the other top clubs in in England. So do you reckon that'd be even more concentrated now, Jamie, clearly for the reasons that you've said? I don't don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, to be honest with you. I get a little bit quite excited about the prospect of, and I've got an Irish perspective, but in terms of, right, just a focus shift now in terms of let's get the best players from Europe as opposed to, right, Let's broaden out in terms of the surrounding area. You know, 50 miles from Manchester, where's the best kids? Yeah. You know, let's invest in these. Well, he mightn't be ideally what we're looking for, but he's all we've got. Let's let's work with him. Let's try and improve him. The less where Jamie comes in, let's get the best and prove these players. So a lot more kind of localised. I, I think that's quite exciting. Mm. Yeah, it, it will still be national recruitment, but, yeah. but uh, yeah, like you said, it'll only be UK-based and potentially anyway it'll be interesting to see how, how Brexit plays out and how you much don't see too it. many of the London boys come up, come up the road with you into Manchester that won't play down too well will it you know what actually with the start, Manchester supporters it's more it's happening more and more because the North West is just such a competitive environment for signing players yeah. you've got Liverpool United course, yeah. all the clubs so yeah they're starting to branch out and get players from, from all over the country now which is which is interesting um, what, what are like obviously Manchester City have done unbelievable work in building that academy over the last little while what other clubs do you look at enviously? Or obviously, I mean, maybe you don't look at anybody enviously, but what are the other clubs with really good academy setups at the moment? Yeah, so the, one, the, the big clubs that you, you'd probably um, know yourselves, like um, Chelsea's very good academy, Liverpool, Man United, they're all good academies. And then you've got sort of the, the, the ones below that that are pushing as well, like Brighton's and stuff are on mm-hmm. the way up. Southampton traditionally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, previously when I was working at Reading they were quite good at producing players not anymore not anymore James how are you saying <laughs> standards have dropped the last uh, four or five years for exactly. obvious reasons yeah exactly <laughs> for, for, from what you're hearing there Kenny if you could turn the clocks back as a 14 year old oh. go into this academy would, would you take I that I wish I hadn't brought Jamie in this morning I, really, <laughs> I, I was reasonably comfortable with me law you know from 20 to 35 before Jamie came in this morning start rattling off his, uh, his achievements how how do you think you would have got on in under Jamie? Oh, as a as a coach, yeah. no, as a, he would, as a, no, player, as a, as a he would have got a bit out of me as a young player. He yeah. would have got a, a bit out. I would have responded to that. He's obviously very uh, competitive, very uh, I wouldn't say uh, kind of demanding, but kind of um, 
just his own kind of mentality. I think I would have uh, re- responded to that, even in terms of what he's committed to off the pitch. That I would have found that I would have been kind of drawn to that. However, the, the other side of Torty, he's the last coach I would have wanted. To be honest with you, <laughs> I'll look the very large. I've been totally boxed off to him in terms of most of what he was saying, but. No, I think it's. I think life experience is a big thing. Actually, just listen to you there, Jamie. You're talking about young Irish players, Brexit, and all that type of thing. So now Irish players um, will, rather than that conveyor belt to England, lower division English sides might be a little bit more imaginative now in terms. Of, yeah, players that go to maybe Scotland, etc. But Europe, maybe Belgium, France, Scandinavia. These might be options now for young Ireland players. And I think in a funny way, people might initially think, "Oh, there, oh there," it's almost a step down. But I kind of see it a little bit differently. I never had that experience. I don't have too many regrets. I don't. I don't look back. But I, I do. I do think when I do look back, was there any stage in my career? I never thought that way. Where I could have thought maybe taking a big sidestep. You know, maybe thought of maybe a couple of years abroad, experience something different, a different type of football, different country, different language, different culture. How that would have affected me? Like not necessarily earning necessarily a lot more money. So I think young Irish players put themselves uh, going down that particular road. I think that could help them in a load of different ways, not just in terms of their football and development, but actually as people in terms of their mindset, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. A bit like you've done in terms of that trip to India, and you're saying that was a pivotal moment for you in terms of visually what you saw, how it affected you. Obviously, you had that within you anyway, don't get me wrong. But those type of things I think are very interesting. I think that could be very exciting for a lot of Irish players you know, in terms of being pushed into these other areas, maybe in continental Europe and different experiences, I think potentially that could be a very good thing and a load of different, not just purely through that narrow lens in terms of purely your football and development is going to make you a better player. I think a lot of things come into it. You'll know better than me what makes you a better player, mindset, psychology, you know, how you are, how you develop, how you mature, you know, all of those things I think make you a better player, but also a person as well because most you've got to live most of your life and we've we all finished 35 years of age you've got the rest of your life ahead of you so you've got to be you've got to be prepared for that as well mm, for sure I think it, 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 like you said how how amazing would it be for a young Irish person now to end up in Italy or, or anywhere across Europe now and even further afield who knows what would happen but there's all sorts of brilliant experiences that could come from that even if you don't end up making it as a footballer because yeah. a lot of them won't and I think one of the big things I always try to say to young Irish lads going over is Yes, you want to dream and strive to be a professional footballer, but there's also that realization that it won't, it won't happen for everyone, um, and oh, you can't just hang your hat on, on that. Got to say, like, the vast I mean, majority you, won't I guess happen. You're, you are working with kids who the vast majority of which won't actually get a professional contract. Yeah, I, th- I think at Man City actually they all probably will. Exception, okay, We're probably right, exception. Okay, yeah, 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 is yeah. that right? Okay, but generally, yeah. Yeah, I'd say I think. Particularly walking yeah. under Jamie for a few years, you know, Sorry. he doesn't want to say it. Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it for him. Of course, going to say it for him. Go ahead, Jamie, keep going. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, yeah, I think most of the 16-year-olds that we um, either sign or release will will go on to still probably get a pro or at least okay. a scholarship somewhere else. But for the young Irish lads, uh, it, it can't can't be the all or nothing move because that will just crush them if it doesn't happen. So it's just sort of give us a name. Any Irish? Any couple of couple of lads over there down the? There's a couple. Chain, there's yeah, a, shown a bit, bit, giving a little bit of that. Yeah, there's a couple. There's, lip. there's a few. There's one that just went over to the Irish under 16s last week, so we'll see how he gets on. Um, I don't expect yeah. it to name drop him, maybe. Puts a little bit too much pressure. Yeah. Pressure on them, but yeah, there's a couple of, couple of lads there. I've got a chance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there's a couple of good ones, um, and hopefully more soon as well. You never know. Did he work with Lee Carsley for a while at the academy, or did your times miss each other? Yeah, missed each other. He, was, he had left a year or two before I arrived. Mark Kennedy? 
He left the year I oh, arrived, yeah. As well, yeah, 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 yeah. Poacher and- turn gang keeper. <laughs> <laughs> any, any, any link up at all or any uh, conversation with, with first team coaches or anything like that? Um, so basically the academy split in two, so you don't see them that often. Yeah. Um, however, you'll just see them in passing, they'll say hello maybe. Um, we've, there's a few players at the moment doing uh, their coaching badges at the moment, so right. um, they come and work with the academy players sometimes as well, which is good. Um, so so that's sort of how you see them more than anything. You show right? them how it's done, like Gundogan comes over and you say, yeah, just see yourself <laughs> down there, just just watch how it's done. Yeah, you've seen <laughs> that. Fernandino, shh, bit of choir. I'm doing a session now. <laughs> you put out the cones there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you for a warm-up. Yeah. No, no they're, they're super respectful. Yeah, it's right, co- yeah, coaching is so different to playing, and I think they understand that. Um, yes. It's a totally different kettle of fish. What's really interesting is that if you were coaching that same age group in Ireland, you'd probably have quite a different outlook, or maybe your contemporaries now have a different outlook because at underage level, at schoolboy football, it is very competitive. Whereas you're coaching not towards co- competition, but more towards, I guess, participation and self improvement. So, can Ireland learn a thing or two from? The, that academy mentality in the UK? Yeah, yeah it's, it's that debate that we all talk about. Is it better to be that side with the competitiveness or this side where it's focused on development? I actually watched an Irish game on Sunday and I spent the first five minutes just laughing because it was just so different to what I'm used to where the parents on the sideline were really animated. You'd never see that. Um, the players and the managers were screaming at the referee. You'd never see that. Neither. And I, I just couldn't get my head around it because I'd been over there for so long and not seen an Irish game. And it was just it was players saying, like, hook it and clear it. We just don't see those things as often, which is brilliant. But there is that criticism, sorry, on jumping yeah. again, in terms of the academy system. It's been there for some time, you're probably aware of, and maybe too much of a sterile environment for players. I've spoken to play, um, people, coaches and stuff, and even in terms of you know, 23 yeah. league over there. And where's the point? You, got, that's, you instill that, that will to win, kind of winner all costs. Yes, you're looking at player development, you're looking to improve players, and you're building towards something. But the here and the now to actually win, to have that mentality go onto the pitch and win at all costs, and to kind of instill that into play. Do young players still have that, or is that kind of almost beaten out of them, or it's not encouraged enough when they come into the system? Because a lot of the young kids, as you know, probably come in seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. Mm. Uh, they come in, and if you're still being told the same things year in, year out, oh, forget about winning the game, don't worry about winning. No, it's about, it's about you, you getting better, it's about the team, team comes first. The patterns of play this is what we got to concentrate on the, you know the win will come later don't worry about winning so much preaching maybe t- uh, uh, too much of that whether potentially that's that's the right thing I find that very interesting no right or wrong you know what I mean how do you see it uh, yeah it's a, it's a massive debate personally I think we need to add more competition in and luckily at Man City because we go on so many trips abroad to these tournaments we actually get a decent level of competition yeah. however when I was at Reading we didn't because we couldn't afford to go on those trips and stuff like that so um, it's those tours and those experiences where you have to win as well that are vital and I would actually say kids nowadays are just as competitive as we were growing up is that right? But, yeah no, you but, don't get a sense of that Yeah, no, still, you still I, I still see that particularly when they are just asking when's the next cup game lads when's, yeah. the, when's the next tour we're going on because that's the highlight for them the, the chance that they can go and showcase on in the in the moment of pressure and go and win a trophy so yeah then I totally agree it's a, it, sometimes you look at one of the 23 games in England and you're like this is miles away from what the first team looks like well let me ask you this talking about straight jacking uh, players I'm going to put you on the spot here 
do you think to a certain extent coaches can be have the straight jacket put on them in the academy particularly at a club like Manchester City where you get a sense of correct me if I'm wrong in terms of how every team plays from the first team down through the academy everybody has to play the same way and you would be as a coach you would be dictated to in terms of how you set up your team to play the type of information you're giving players the type of patterns of play that you're not almost encouraged but you're actually dictated to that you have to roll out onto the training pitch is that the case you think that's a good thing in terms of like um, coach development in terms of improving you as a coach rather than being an environment where a first team manager say well your team set them up as you want play as you want play mm. whatever system you want style of play yeah. it's up to you well, it's amazing because um, there's a famous quote at the start of Moneyball that says it's, a, it's amazing how much you don't know about the game you've played your whole life. And when I went to Man City, that was what it was like because their style and the, and the detail that they go into in terms of the 4-3-3, the mm. it just blew me away, if I'm totally honest. Yeah. And I learned so much. I'm still learning so much. So um, that was really interesting. But also there's plenty of freedom within the framework to create your own sessions, do whatever you want to do, um, as long as you're working alongside the syllabus and the philosophy so uh, it's been extremely beneficial for me for sure because like I said I've just learned so much That's really interesting because I think obviously Kenny you're speaking from a a place of knowledge there but I think the rest of us possibly aren't quite aware of what exists there so there's there's like a, a blueprint this is how this is the Manchester City way essentially yeah, so there's, a, there's an academy um, curriculum and, and philosophy that this is how we want to play across all the age groups and this is what it should look like, yeah. And what did you learn about the 4-3-3 then? Oh, they're all the hidden secrets I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Blue yeah. Well, make any sense to him. Just forget it straight away. In one ear now with the it's other. Our football experts oh, like Kenny needs to learn. Oh, dear. Unless he got a slither in his We'll need to get the tactics board out, I think. <laughs> uh, fascinating stuff. So, like, I mean, over the next little while... Like, are you in your happy place at the moment? Is is it a sense that, like, listen, I'd, I'd love to kind of progress through this academy, or or how, how do you see things going career wise? Yeah, certainly, I'd love to progress through the academy, and like I said, I'd love to work in competitive football one day, whatever that'll look like, whether that's a coach or assistant, who knows. Um, but this year, I'm fully focused on my challenges because this is uh, it's going to be a hell of a year, an exciting year. Remind, sorry, Kennedy, selfie stick, yeah, what. Surely, you're gonna run. It's not that. Consider what you're doing. Lightweight selfie stick, so we can all follow yeah. you. Surely, hundred percent. Tune into that. All that. There's actually room on the boat for one more, Kenny. If you fancy it, <laughs> you don't want me on that boat, would you? <laughs> mentally, mentally, that would be too much for you. <laughs> and I wouldn't be cleaning the bottom of the boat either. Uh, Jamie, remind us how people can find out more information and and donate as well so nothingventuredcampaign.com for anyone that would love to donate that would be that would be super and uh, nothingventuredcampaign on Instagram for anyone that wants to follow the journey see what my training looks like um, and uh, and follow see me see what you look like with your top off the album <laughs> hey Jelly you'd be looking a million dollars home <laughs> 100% yeah well good luck with that uh, training good luck with social media you've got a new follower here anyway uh, somebody's going to be watching all of the selfie stick I'm going to try I'm going to wouldn't be my thing now wouldn't be yeah, I'm going to try yeah, oh, you've prompted find him, me in the right direction prompted him to become why can't we follow him on the show surely you can pop him up for five minutes you're for that most 100%. Mondays are 100% yeah get you on between marathons and uh, between days of rowing or whatever the weight drops he gets more gaunt <laughs> as, the we- as the weeks go on we'd be saying yeah you look great Jay. go 
goes off fire we'd be saying looks dreadful doesn't he oh, <laughs> oh god there he's, he's a shadow the, the man was in the studio <laughs> <laughs> take a picture of that now and after it'll be a very different man yeah. the tan will be gone I can tell you that much uh, you've been listening to Jamie Carr he is uh, an academy coach with Manchester City and has got a fairly busy 2022 ahead to say the least uh, OTBAM has been brought to you this morning by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors thanks a million for coming in Jamie really appreciate it uh, here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today from uh, one o'clock we've got OTB Gold which is Barry Ryan talking about his book The Ascent the Dadcast is coming up at three o'clock a career retrospective with Matt Holland at four o'clock and then the life and times of Johnny Kilban the boxer is the story on OTB Gold at six o'clock I better get a mention Matty Holland four o'clock I'll be disappointed if I don't tune in find <laughs> out it's prompt, OT- you've got to be prompting at least I'm sure you've got the OTB Sports app downloaded on your phone Kenny you can find out for yourself at four o'clock he looked after me as well Matt bit of a screen in front good lad Matt good lad. <laughs> that, that ties <laughs> the whole show there. together he nicely. was sick of the sound of my voice as well at the end of his international career I'll if, tell you that. if you're looking for more content and all that goodness about screening the relationships between <laughs> midfielders and the, and the defenders scroll back to the top of the show some great stuff from Kenny Cunningham tomorrow morning Kenny's not in but we'll try our best to make it up for you we've uh, got Joey Carberry with us we'll have Champions League reaction and much more OTB AM with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors